Maybe he's right. Maybe there is something the matter with me. <laughs> I just don't see how a world that makes such wonderful things could be bad. Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Wouldn't you think my collection's complete? Wouldn't you think I'm the girl, the girl who has everything? Look at this trove, treasures untold. How many wonders can one cavern hold? Looking around here, you think, sure, she's got everything. Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What do they get right? What do they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah F. Decker, a medieval historian, and today I'm joined by Erica Desatel to talk about Disney's The Little Mermaid. So Erica, welcome. Thank you. I'm here. I'm so excited. So excited to be here. I had so much fun rewatching this so movie fun. last night. It was really nice. It felt really it's good. It's nice. It's just like nice in this time to watch something <laughs> that's just comforting and familiar and nice. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about why you wanted to talk about this particular movie? Sure. I am a theater artist and textile artist based in Boston, Massachusetts. I primarily work at the Boston Ballet in the costume shop, sort of caring for and building costumes and specifically accessories like masks and tiaras and, and that kind of thing. And then I also spend my time doing a lot of design work for youth theater and small new works in the Boston area and i god i love the little mermaid (laughs) it is my all-time favorite disney movie and like that's it and it has been always and it always will be and this movie really like lives inside my heart there was a point it's like a few couple no maybe more than that years ago when my uh, my husband and i we were intoxicated and we were like at the part of the night where you just like gotta make a grilled cheese and drink a lot of water and yeah like like sort of the self-care before you go to sleep and i we decided to sing disney songs Mm -hmm. to each other and i sang part of your world to him and made myself cry (laughs) so that's like what we're dealing with (laughs) and that's the energy i'm always bringing to the little mermaid (laughs) This is also my hands down favorite Disney movie and has been since I was very, very young. I guess I was two years old when this movie came out. It came out in 1989. Yes, I was also two. I have no idea when I first saw it. I was probably four. Very young. Like, maybe. When did we get the VHS? I don't know. Right. Yeah, this is one of the movies also that I distinctly remember owning on VHS back in the day. Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes, and just rewatching it all. This might even have been one that I actually had two VHS copies. I had one at home and one that I kept at my grandma's (gasps) because she would she was my usual babysitter since she lived in the Mm -hmm. area. And so yeah, I would stay at I would, you know, hang out at my grandma's and we would watch movies and this was definitely a favorite. Yes. My like sort of grandma babysitting life also sort of extends into the Little Mermaid <laughs> universe, which is that like I was seriously a water baby and I grew you know, I grew up close mm-hmm. enough to Long Island Sound to go there all the time. We lived close to my grandma who had a pool. So I basically was like submerged in water <laughs> like ninety percent of my summers growing up. And that's like very crucial. Also as a Pisces, you know, it's just like so many right. of those things. I'm actually like, also a Pisces. Are really inside I sometimes feel like I'm bad at being a yes. Pisces, oh but I am a Pisces. God, Sarah. No, I, I, I'm a Pisces with a Virgo yeah. cap uh, situation. Like, like, I'm a Pisces and I cry a lot, but I also need to be in control of everything right. around me. So. It's funny because my, my dad is a Virgo and my dad is actually a very solid mm. Virgo and I am a lot like my dad. So 
I'm a really a, mm-hmm. yes, a, a kind of stealth Virgo. Yeah. And, and now this is an astronomy podcast. Go. Or astrology. <laughs> oh, my God. Astronomy. Oh, my God. Physics people don't come at me. But yes. Yeah. Ah. So yes. Oh my gosh. Little Mermaid, directed by Ron Clemens and John Musker, with music by Alan Benkin, starring Jodie Benson as Ariel. And this is, I believe, her first film role. Ooh, yeah. Jodie. Nice. So she Good had been book. a it's Broadway a actress, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. And then, yeah, this mm-hmm. is her first film work and film, nice. and she's known mostly for voice work. Christopher Daniel Barnes is Eric. And I find it very funny, by the way, that he did not voice Eric in the sequel, but he did voice the prince in the Cinderella sequels. <laughs> Why? <laughs> so funny. I don't know. Pat Carroll, who is, of course, excellent as Ursula. The queen, the queen, the queen. Yes, that that is my song from The Little Mermaid, if I have to, uh, if I have to sing, as I sing Poor Unfortunate Souls. Nice. And also, of course, Kenneth Mars as Triton, Samuel E. Wright as Sebastian, Buddy Hackett as Scuttle, and Rene Aubergeonois as Chef Louis, and he just died relatively recently in 2019. Sam Wright died less than a month ago. Wait, not really? Like completely date this Yes. Uh, we looked at oh, wow. I, I, yes. I think that was um, like not on Wikipedia or I missed it or something. Wow. No, it, it is. It is. I just checked it. Uh, well, I oh, was. Okay. Well, yeah, my so, brain like, just skipped over that. Not Aww. to like totally jump ahead on the sort of like Sebastian of it all, but like my husband was like, oh, while we were watching, he was like, oh, like why is he like, I wonder like who made the choice for that accent. And so I was like, I don't know. Right. Maybe Sam Wright did. Like, you know, not sure. And he, yeah. he started Googling Sam Wright and he was like, oh, he literally just died so like r.i.p i actually had a on tape growing up we had this like taped production of a live show presumably like at disney Mm -hmm. of sam wright performing songs from little mermaid and like other ocean-based songs and has like these like fish performers around him that that is such like a thing i remember from my life yeah in that like time period yeah i have so much affection for him i love sam yeah. wright i know that's really so, that's really so, sad so yeah i know no, i know that. it is Aww. really sad i know yeah. so r.i.p to a king yes uh he's so good yeah He's really incredible. He's incredible in this whole movie. Absolutely incredible. The first proper section is uh, the enumeratio or recap, where we talk through basically what happens in this film or uh, just have some kind of general conversation since uh, probably most people basically know what happens in this film, uh, as opposed to some of the more obscure things that I sometimes cover. (laughs) I I mean, you'd think that, but I always forget about the literally the first part of the film. Like when they're on, it's like that we are on the ship first right that the opening song is yeah the fathoms below and we get to sing about how it's you know fun to be at sea and we meet eric and he's having fun at sea and grimsby and he's not having fun at sea Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes oh my gosh it i totally every single time i think i forget that that's how that movie starts (laughs) (laughs) i just like wipe it from my brain immediately every single time it's very, very funny. It's also fun that we then kind of switch to the point of view of the fish who they've caught mm. who then gets away. And this movie, I'm pretty sure might be one of the reasons why I became a vegetarian and including like did not, you know, a proper vegetarian did not eat fish mm. and was a vegetarian for 14 years. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, as, as a kid, yeah. did you decide as a kid to like Yeah, like veg, ages or? like yeah. 10 to 24, mm. basically, I was a vegetarian. Wow, yeah. Wow. And then went to New Orleans and had a shrimp po' boy and ruined it. Got it. Yeah. No, I understand. I understand. <laughs> Sebastian would be so mad at me. Yeah. I I actually like 
have never liked seafood and I also wonder if it's because like I identify too much as a fish yeah <laughs> just myself but I also just like yeah. I just don't like it <laughs> yeah fair enough like but it is such a gorgeous like seamless transition to sort of like getting this like above culture and a little bit of that like exposition of like King Triton and all of these other kind of like you know like these mermaid myths and lore that these like sailors yeah. have and then this fish sort of jumps in and swims down and you know it's very unclear how far down the fish is going confusing like it's like where are we like ocean level wise no idea it's like they should be deeper i it's sort of unclear because like every now and then they're like oh you're so deep down here we have to go further up and i'm like wait so like what is supposed to be the ideal level of the sea for mermaids to hang out at yes we don't really know i mean it can't be like it can't be that deep because they have like they don't have bioluminescence, as far as right. we know. I'm also interested in Not talking in about mermaids generally as cryptids. <laughs> right. Yeah, because I feel like the physiology of mermaids as is not mm-hmm. that clear. Like, how do they how do they breathe underwater? Because they look like they have normal human top halves, which would include normal human lungs. Like, she does not have gills. No, but she breathes on air. Yeah. So it's right. very confusing. Yeah. But also, I love it. Yeah. Because it's magical realism, because what we're dealing of with course, is magical realism. Of course, it's fine. All the time. We don't have to worry about the science of it all. No, but we do need to think about it sometimes, because it's Occasionally. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm very concerned about, like, how far down their, like, space is. Like, where... Yeah. Like, the light should not be hitting them if they are so afraid that is true. to go to the surface right you would think they would mostly be very very deep far down but it's also possible and i heard this it was in the in the lord of the rings extra bits that like one of the actors once was like hey like where is the lighting coming from in this scene and the cinematographer was like the same place (laughs) as the music (laughs) right (laughs) like a perfect way to explain it anyway okay so Yeah. yeah so now we're down now we're down in the deep and we've got a concert. There's a seahorse who announces King Triton. I love the seahorse. Iconic seahorse. Love him. Triton also is iconic because Triton is just like dramatic. Yes. Yes. He yes. Just has He's this, like, like wild entrance. Truly has a huge entrance. He's like, everybody needs to look at me. Yes. And my like sick chariot. It's- yeah. <laughs> So cool. And then Sebastian has a little chariot. It's a little also mini so chariot. It's, it's very so cute. cute. It's very cute. They're very enthusiastic about the concert and especially about the fact that it will be Ariel, the youngest daughter's first concert. Sebastian's a little worried. She's apparently not great at making it to rehearsal and not great at making it to concerts because no! she is revealed <laughs> dramatically to be not there. No, she is 16 and she does not have a planner. She is, or is she 15? Oh, no. Is she 16 or 15? Does she ever say that to me? I think she is six. She says she's 16 because she at some point she goes, I'm 16 years old. I'm not a child. Yes. Like, yes, I'm not a child. It's like, bitch, yes, you are. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's not there. But the sisters are incredible. I don't think I know, that they get right? enough screen time, honestly, because they all have such like gorgeous, distinctive looks. Like they all have this different hair look, and each yes. one is like more cute and fun than like the last. And I'm I've always been like really into them, but it's sad that yes. we never really get to know them more. And they all have A names, which yes. I can relate to because me and my three siblings all have E names. Oh. So love and naming convention. Yeah, they're so cute. And then I also I in preparing for this, I did reread the Hunt Kristen Anderson. 
1836 story. And in that one, there's only six of them, including Ariel. So I was like curious why they added another. And I think it might have just been like for the visual of like the three on three with like Ariel in the middle. I think it's probably. Yeah, which I think very, very much kind of works, right? That uh, it very much kind of emphasizes Ariel as a focus and then it's extra dramatic that she Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. not there. She is instead trying to scavenge a shipwreck. Yes, yes. I love yeah. it. Yeah, she is with her buddy Flounder, who is very charming. And we do not know what kind of fish he is, even though his name is Flounder and he's not a he Flounder. He is not a Flounder, right? No idea what kind of fish he is. <laughs> I also like that Flounder's like, oh, it looks damp in there. <laughs> the, and we'll come back to this so many times, but the comedy writing in this movie is unmatched. Excellent. Absolutely excellent. So funny. There's so much like broad silly comedy that kind of like flies under the radar of this whole entire yeah. movie and I love it. I love it. Absolutely. I love it so much. Yeah. Poor Flounder. He's got anxiety. I know. I feel bad for him and she's just like dragging him around and also like making him extra anxious because she's like oh you can just stay here and wait for sharks and he's like oh, okay and then he's like what? I know she's such a brat. <laughs> she really so is. bratty. She's so bratty. <laughs> She's bratty to her friends. She's bratty to her family. Yeah, she's she's not really a role model here. No, classic youngest. Also, I'll oh yeah, classic yeah. youngest behavior. <laughs> I'm an only child, so I uh, I can it. agree without judging any member of my family. Oh, that's uh, so great. <laughs> yeah, she finds some human fun artifacts. She gets a fork and a pipe. And then a shark, which is not a human artifact, yes. but is uh, exciting and dramatic nonetheless. And the shark chases him for a while. She yes. risks her life to go back for her bag of stuff. Listen, she worked hard for that stuff. Yeah, she's got to get like, the collection. Yeah. yeah, she does also risk her life to go back for Flounder. Thank goodness. And rescues him. Yeah, so she, yes. you know, is a good friend in that regard, at least. Yes. They managed to basically trick the shark into getting his head caught in a large round thing yeah unclear like why really that is. is sticking up i don't know what it is i either. assume I guess it was maybe, maybe like, part of the ship but i don't really know maybe it's I, I don't know i don't know what it is i do think that the shark is I, I like made a note of that it's like kind of this like progenitor of bruce the shark and finding nemo i think it's like a very mm-hmm. similar character design and a very similar uh-huh. like chasing through the wreckage scene yeah is like very 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 similar to that same scene in finding nemo yeah which maybe i sort of recognized but then in Finding Nemo, Bruce has, like, a personality, right? He does, yeah. So I think that's, like, the, at least, like, he does it, yes. He, well, he has a personality kind of until he gets the whiff of the blood. And then he's, right. like, turns into a monster shark again. Yeah. Is just like, I gotta have it. And it's, like, really right. crazy. Because I feel like the politics of this are interesting. Because, like, so Triton is the king of the ocean. And shouldn't that mean he's also the king of sharks? But then this shark seems to, A, not understand what's going on. And also seems to think that it's fine to eat Triton's daughter mm-hmm. so yes. i'm i'm not i'm not exactly sure what the sentience level of sharks in this context is supposed to be and why they are seemingly less so than other sea creatures yes i think the entire like <laughs> ecosystem concept of this movie is giving us nothing clearly like the mer people they don't eat fish right. right so like are they just all existing on kelp but they're like in like what kind of environment are they in are they in like a tropical reef yeah it seems like they have access to lots of different types of ocean right which is also confusing about like where this all takes place yeah the kelp only diet would also explain why ariel weighs like 12 pounds soaking wet yes yes (laughs) (laughs) i know 
Well, I mean, she's listen, tiny. she's like, she, she's like 103 pounds of pure muscle, baby. That's right. She's all about swimming. Yeah, she's act. She's and she's active. She's running around she all is. over the place. Yeah, and she's got to like lug that hair all over the place. Her right, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous hair that looks perfect. Really good shots. Of course, mm-hmm. it's perfect, right? <laughs> they, having escaped the shark, head up to the surface and meet Scuttle, the yes! seagull. And he's chilling oh, with a telescope, and he doesn't know how to use the telescope. It's great. Scuttle is great. pure chaos energy. Exactly. He's so out of control. He, I love Scuttle. I just love him. I don't, he's so stupid. He knows nothing. Yes, I love him. But also on this read, I'm like, Scuttle is absolutely the like mediocre white dude who does not actually know anything about what he's talking about, but will insist upon authoritatively mansplaining it to whatever women happen to be around. He's like, you, I got an opinion about everything. He's just got a, he's got a lot of thoughts, a lot of things swirling around yeah. in his head. I do have this one question, though, about sort of the fork of it all, which is mm-hmm. like, okay, so she finds a fork. It's, it, it's drawn as a three-pronged thing. I don't know why she doesn't think it's a trident, like a tiny trident. That's such a good question. I think this is the first time I've had this thought, and it was last night watching this. I was like, how does she know? She has an extremely relevant, clear reference point for a three-pronged metal instrument. Right. So yeah, why doesn't she like, oh, like, should I I be wielding this? Right. She's like, oh, like... Can I do magic with it? Right. Oh my gosh. I can't believe this is the first time I've only thought of it. But here I, here we are and now it's in your brain. Today. Oh, that is fascinating. Brains. Why doesn't she think it's a trident? She doesn't, but she has no idea what she is and is told basically that it is a comb. It's a comb. Of course it is. Also is informed that the pipe is a banded bulbous snarflet, which is a musical instrument. Which I love the narration of like all the stuff bubbling up out of it when he blows into it. I think like that like narration looks so good. Not the narration, the um, what is the word for the thing? Animated. Animated. Jesus Christ. One of those tweets. But just I like love that little animated moment. I think it's really cute. Yes. And also that she's like, looks really good. Music. Oh, I just. (laughs) missed a big thing tonight (laughs) i know that little moment of crisis it's so sweet yes i know she's so charming oh ariel oh ariel she is so charming that's why she gets away with being a bad girl i know yeah and it's just i mean she's just she's spoiled because it's because she's so charming and she really needs boundaries but as as we'll see the problem is that her father goes too far in the from zero boundaries to all the boundaries Yes, yeah, it's not good parenting. It's, you're not no. seeing seeing like really clear, understandable rules. <laughs> it's just very much right. like I'm the king, I'm in charge. Blah. Exactly. She heads back. She is spotted by the eels Flotsam and Jetsam, and we do hear Ursula, and we get our first glimpse of Ursula, who we also learn. So I really want like the Ursula backstory because she's like, this is not no celebration in my day. We had fantastical feasts when I lived in the palace. And I'm like, oh, when did you live in the palace? Like, what was that situation? When did you live in the palace? Why are you the only one who's like a chimera octopus human and not like fish fin human? Like what? Like, where did you come from? So also, I did not watch it, but I did Google the entire plot of the sequel, the direct-to-video sequel Mm. to The Little Mermaid. Interestingly, so it's basically the same plot, but it's about Ariel's daughter. And the villain is Ursula's sister, who is named Morgana. Oh, 
interesting. Which we have a little is, Arthurian. Uh, yes, an interesting <laughs> little Arthurian reference, and which mm-hmm. also I think has some interesting implications about this family's relationship to Arthur. Or sorry, to mm-hmm. Trayden. <laughs> <laughs> Trayden, Arthur, whatever. <laughs> the same. Right. Yeah. The guy in charge. Uh, yes. I'm curious. I want I want all of Ursula's backstory. Yeah. I know. Where does she come from? I love yes. her. Yeah. I love her. She's, 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 she's absolutely amazing. She's the greatest Disney villain. Like Yes. In my yes. opinion, I think she and she yes. has the greatest Disney villain song. One hundred percent. I am obsessed with that song. She is she's truly and I wish you know, and I was also because you know, she's like a reference to like the drag queen divine right is like sort of she's directly referenced from divine and divine died like the year before that the movie was released which right. makes me so sad yeah. because i think she would have really loved yeah. it and really loved like yeah uh seeing it because she's just so gorgeous they do it so well they just do it so well i love it i know i know and you know it obviously is your standard disney queer coding villains mm-hmm. in a way that is obviously extremely problematic but i feel like ursula is like the one that we can like kind of reclaim <laughs> Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. I very much so. Ursula belongs to the queer community Absolutely. in every way. Absolutely. She, she is, is excellent. Ours. She's the best. She's 100%. the best. 100%. Ariel, meanwhile, is getting lectured by Triton and Sebastian. And Flounder, bless his heart, tries to stick up for her and ends up revealing the whole situation that they were in this ship and that they then went to the surface. And dad is mad. And this is where, by the way, where she goes, like, I'm 16 years old. I'm not a child. I love it. <laughs> Which absolutely, like, I remember watching this when I was, you know, five. And being like, yeah, Ariel, you're a grown up. And now that I'm in my 30s, I'm watching this and being like, no, you're a child. You need to be parented. Oh, oh yes. Very, very much. Very much so. <laughs> she's not. But no. she's sort of, I don't know. She, you know, like, why wouldn't she think that she is, like, grown? Like, she is right. oftentimes treated like she is. Like, she just goes wherever she wants all the time and, like, doesn't really have any consequences. <laughs> right just just like gets yelled at like that's like yeah the yeah. and that's it now the fact that you know this is the first step in more active parenting is that she gets a full-time albeit fairly ineffective adult chaperone in the form of sebastian oh my gosh which is such like a hysterical i love that exchange between him and Triton. sebastian's like you know if she was my daughter i would never get away with anything you know like you gotta be strict you gotta have boundaries and Triton is just like yeah you should do it for me. <laughs> you should parent you sh- for me. You should parent Ariel. Like, <laughs> like so silly. Like, the sir, what do you like, do all day? Himself. I mean, what an Like, that you can't parent your child. I know. I know. I know. We never really see him, like, doing the kingly busy. Like, see, you know, no one's petitioning right. him for, like, land or, like, whatever. We've no Right, like, does like... he, like, make judgments? Like, does he have to, like, handle the ocean infrastructure? Like, what is his job? Right. What We don't know. We do not. We absolutely <laughs> we do, not. do not. And we don't we know do really not. how the, like, that works in terms of, like, the humans either, because, like, Eric also does not seem to meaningfully have a job. No, 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 no. No, he does not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so are we getting to... So we're getting to part of your world. Part of your world. Yes. yes. Oh, she my gosh. Secret cave, and she's got cool stuff and she sings the pretty song uh, and i think like for a second we have to talk about like collection culture yes like i i was a very avid 
collector as a child. Yeah. Of like all kinds of shit. You know, like you get the beanie babies or whatever. But like tchotchkes and whatnot. But like yeah. also tchotchkes. Yes, like I had I had a little collection and it was everything was just like miniatures and like different things. And I would yeah. line them up on a shelf because I was not diagnosed with OCD yet. And like <laughs> I had like a lot of like little statues of dogs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some brer horses, you know, like, yeah. those, you know, like that sort of like energy of like, I have a rock collection or I have a collection of leaves. Yeah. Or like, I, yeah. so I love her just like, it, it, it's to me, her collection cave is on par with Belle's library. Yeah, like, absolutely. It's just like, here is this incredible space. It's just yours. And you're just filling it with shit you like. And yeah. that doesn't have any practical use to you because you are a mermaid. Right. And but I also it, love that so like this cool. is, it's her hobby, but also that like she's trying to learn something. I mean, she's mm-hmm. not very successful because her main source is Scuttle, who is bullshit. But she is this like kind of like pseudo like anthropologist of human culture. Yes, yes. She's very into it. She really wants to know, no, no, no. She just wants to know more and more and more. Yeah. I wish, you know, she was able to read those books, which like how you got right. books in the ocean, girl. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff. Like there is a, there are entire books. There is a full on painting, which I will talk about later because it is a real painting. <laughs> oh, amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I really love the way this movie kind of just like doesn't access reality in a lot of ways. Yes. It's very much like, don't worry about it in terms of yes. a lot of these practicalities. It's like, yes, you know what? She does have books. Does she know how to read? We have no idea. Does, if she knew how to read, would it be English? We don't know. Would it be right. Spanish? The contract is in English. Yes. Yes. The contract is in English and she signs her name. Yes. In, which... in English characters. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. <laughs> in cursive also. Yeah. Yeah, she really she's like, got a perfect, she's a much a nice... nicer signature than I do, honestly. Yes, very much so. Her <laughs> signature is gorgeous. <laughs> she yeah, she has a lovely signature. <laughs> <laughs> what does she sign? What does she have to know? Why does she have to know her signature? Oh my God, I love it. Well, I mean, I guess if she was going to be, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if the idea was that like one day, okay, if this was reality and like yeah, a go. real structure of society, like princesses might expect to one day have like land in various kinds of duties Mm. and have to at some point have some kind of legal function potentially is she gonna get like married off to like another kingdom that's like such a good question eventually like (laughs) i mean well yeah because it's also like there are seven daughters ariel's the youngest and she is already 16 and none of the older girls seem to be married and unless mermaids reproduce much more quickly than humans which is certainly a possibility the oldest has to be in her 20s already. Right. I think, yeah, I think especially with like the design of Ariel where her like fish body meets her human body, like she, you know, I think you can see the part where like were she to have a uterus, it would, you know, it would be there like behind her belly button. She has a belly button. <laughs> so- right. But so, okay, but like do mermaids lay eggs like this? There's right. a lot of questions here. I think mermaids do lay eggs. And I yeah. think that they would be designed to not have belly buttons. Yeah. That is how I feel about it. So I do think that her sisters could be closer. I don't think that they're necessarily all, like, one a year. Yeah, true. Like, they could be, do they come in, like, just triplets that are, like, little Right. Maybe they're, like, two sets of triplets and then she's her own situation for whatever reason. 
and we have no mother. no reference to the mother. Do mermaids actually reproduce asexually? I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I mean, but the, then you have like Ponyo. So like the movie Ponyo mm-hmm. from the Ghibli Studio Ghibli film. Ponyo is like kind of like always referring to her father, and her father is sort of this mm-hmm. like actualized like being. But then like it turns out her mother is just like the ocean and like uh-huh. a beautiful <laughs> woman kind of appear. Right. Who is like the ocean. So it could be that. I don't know. There's so many different ways it could go. Yeah. So she's got her stuff and we love it. A birdcage. And then Sebastian reveals himself by accident by falling all over everything embarrassingly. Yes. Then he's like, all right, we've, we've, we've got to get out of here. It's too deep down here. You need some whatever the mermaid equivalent of fresh air is. But then she sees a ship and fireworks and goes to check on what is happening up there. You can't stop her. You can't stop her. Okay, also, this is where I need to talk about my favorite character in this movie, who is Max, the Old English Sheepdog, because Max Max is a very, very good boy. Oh, he's so good. He's a good boy. He's so cute. He's like drunk. He's got that gigantic nose, like, that, like, exists outside of the rest of his body. And he's a very good judge of character. He is. He knows. Like, Max gets it. Yeah. And so he immediately likes Ariel. Okay, it's the traditional Disney thing, right? That she sees Eric and she's immediately falls in love with him. And obviously it's ridiculous. But I feel like this is the one that, like, I always was like, yeah, no, I mean, I feel like this totally makes sense. And it's not anything about Eric, because Eric is kind of boring. It's that I absolutely can understand basically falling into love at first sight with a person because they have an extremely cute dog. Yes. I mean, I think, yes, that he, like, clearly, clearly loves. I I, I do, like, stan Eric. I think he has iconic eyebrows. I think he's very mm-hmm. beautiful. And I he do is. think that his, like... His look is also really solid. It's, like, very, very clear, iconic look of, like, here's this, like, guy who's, like, clearly, like, pretty clean, pretty, like, cleaned up, like, princey, but he wants to be, like, out in the world, and you've got his little, like, pecs showing. (laughs) And he, like, thinks he's, like, a man of the people, which is very sweet. Like, he wants to, he just wants to, like, hang with the sailors. He does! Like, he doesn't, you know, he's, like, no, I'm not going to make that comparison. He's... (laughs) I was gonna say like Prince Harry, but that's not what we want to do with Eric. <laughs> um, but yeah, he is like he just like he, and he's clearly like good at sailing. You know when things yeah. come into it, like he takes charge of that wheel and his forearms are like thick and gorgeous. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. No, I'm, like, I'm here for it, Eric. I also think that in my opinion, he's the first Disney prince with Disney princess eyes. Oh, um, visually. interesting. He does have very um, like good bef- eyes. Yes, he's got those big, those like yeah. big old, big old Disney princess eyes. Prince Philip from Sleeping Beauty has like a little bit more of a personality, but then, he, you know, the prince right. from Cinderella, the prince from Snow, Snow White, White, like they're kind of like bland, like yeah. you don't really get a lot from them. And Eric is the first one, I think, who's really like... He has a personality compared to yeah. most Disney princes, yeah. Yeah, he's like the proto-Aladdin. Right, um, yeah. Sort of like building... But he doesn't get a song. Into No, he doesn't get a song, unfortunately. Unfortunately, he doesn't get a song. Poor Eric. He's yeah. got a little tin whistle, though. Yeah, he plays his he plays his little, like, flute thing, and, you know, mm-hmm. and he hangs out with his dog. Uh, you know, he, he just seems like he has, like, a kind of nice, happy, chill life. Yes, and I think the fact that Grimsby, like, in this scene is sort of like, bro, you gotta get married, like, this is important. I was like, why would he? <laughs> like... I feel like Grimsby is very into him acting like a prince in ways that Eric is not into. And it's like the obviously like the getting buried, but it's also like, here is a giant, like aggressively large uh, princely statue of you that you clearly do not want or like. 
That's and this is my birthday present to you, <laughs> which obviously you are going to hate. Like if you've met this person for two seconds, you will know that he will hate this. Yeah, he's like not into it. He's a man of the people. He is. He's a man of the people. He's... He doesn't want this like big like statue where he's like dramatically standing with a shield. Uh, he's just a sailor boy. Yeah. He's just, just a, sailor a sailor boy, boy and he likes his dog. He does. Nice he loves his dog. He loves his dog. Oh, Eric. Then the storms the come. Storm rolls in. Hell yeah. Oh my God. It's very dramatic. You know, at some point, at some point, uh, and Eric has to go back to the ship to save Max because, uh, because the dog Max is scared and he has to get the dog to jump. But then he is stuck on the boat when it completely blows up, as boats do. And his uh, survival of the explosion is, is absolutely ridiculous. And that, like, his skin is fine. <laughs> like, he has no burns. He's just got, like, his boots were blown off. And... Mm-hmm. Yep. He's just totally fine. His shirt is, yeah. like, slightly shredded, but not, like, so shredded that it's, you know, showing anything that would be inappropriate to children. Yeah, he's not giving us, like, a shirtless, like, romantic novel hero vibe. It's just, Right. It's like, it's we get, like, like just, like, a cool. little hint of pecs, and we get, like, a little extra hint of the arm muscles, and that's basically mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ariel it. Ariel rescues him, of course. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. When Scuttle says he can't make out a heartbeat on the foot. <laughs> well, lifting up. Again, <laughs> peak comedy. It's so funny. Yes. It's yes. such an unbelievable joke. Yes. Oh, oh and God. Scuttle also went looking at the at the boat before everything, you know, went kaboom, basically. She's like, he's so beautiful. And he's like, he looks kind of hairy and slobbery to me. And I'm like, the fact that this seagull does not know the difference between a human and a dog. I feel like this should be your clue that maybe all of the information he has given you is complete bullshit. Oh, my God. Like, I feel like you should be starting to figure this out. Yeah, yeah. Just, like, maybe don't believe him. Yeah. Like, just, like, hang out, but, like, maybe don't get the information because he doesn't have Yeah, maybe, maybe, like, double check those citations. Yeah. (laughs) With your, with your many books that are in the sea. Yes, with your many books. And once she goes up above the sea with her many more credible sources in terms of her anthropological investigations. Oh, my God. So then she does have her iconic swirling hair moment on the rock and the yes. wave splash which is like what little child did not want to like try and recreate I that know. at the beach that was I like know. we gotta find a big rock i gotta get all my siblings behind me and they gotta splash splash yes. me while i like do down dog or do like up dog on like a rock yeah <laughs> yeah and then she like sings like part of your world again it's like oh <sighs> so good the reprise it's so gorgeous yes i love yes. it and ursula is very smug about she cannot wait she can't wait to get her tentacles wrapped around that little tiny bitch (laughs) and add her to her little garden oh she can't wait she's so excited so she's sort of mooning around she's singing her sisters are like trade are like daddy she's in love Sebastian is very worried. This is where we have Under the Sea, which is his attempt to convince her that actually maybe you should just have fun and chill out here and not be in love with this dude who lives on land. Which, an incredible song. Incredible. So good. He is great. so fucking fun. The animation is so silly and fun. Yes. You, like, love all these, like, fish characters that are introduced. 
<laughs> yes. And like, he, he is so skilled. Like he is really able to like command and properly use a wide ranging orchestra. Yes. He has like a deep knowledge of like what, like these like musician fish are capable of. Exactly. <laughs> and it's very cool, I think. And it also like the fact that she leaves during the song also reminded me of um, in the Lion King when yes. can't wait to be king. And then they distract Zazu and they run away. And uh, yeah, so being like able to escape during a song distraction is very mm-hmm. fun. It's a very fun. Yeah. Device. It's like, oh, this yeah. is what the song is for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. The song is a cover for her to leave and go back to her cave. And yes. Flounder gives her a beautiful gift of the statue. Of the statue, which also is totally fine. The statue yes. has not a chip on it at this point. How did Flounder get it in there? Like, that is also who, a good what? question big brutes did he hire to like push and like also like <laughs> just get it in like i don't think it would have even fit through the little hole in the cave no how did it get I there know, how is it in there i get magic maybe maybe flounder has some magic that we don't really know about hidden magic I hidden strengths mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sebastian meanwhile is taken to triton and uh, triton is like ariel in love and sebastian just immediately is like i tried to stop her sir i said humans are bad they are evil (laughs) humans what about humans oh my gosh oh my gosh everybody's like putting their foot in their mouth fucking constantly in this i know i know it's amazing (laughs) in this story that's how the entirety of this plot is moved forward exactly people saying shit they shouldn't so at that point having given everything away he then also leads him to ariel's cave which come on dude come on be fucking cool just act like you don't know where she is just be cool yeah like you don't have to do that too like you already fucked up once so yeah, so he leads Triton to Ariel's cave. Triton is mad and in a real like bad dad, see dad moment. He wrecks all of her stuff. Yeah, he's yeah, shitty. not good. It's not good bad. parenting. No, it's very, very bad. It's very mean. Yes. Yeah. And it isn't teaching her a lesson. It's making her. It is not. Exactly. Yeah, no, poor parenting. And it's also, again, that he's going from zero to, like, extreme punishment. Yes, yes. He cannot get his temper under control, which, like, again, like, he's, like, semi-godlike, probably, right? Isn't, like... Yeah. Triton is, like, a a lesser god in, like, I think so. But still. Divine-ish, but yeah. Like, you're not Zeus, bitch. Like, just get it together. Like, chill... (laughs) Chill the hell out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, really, what are the stakes? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess the stakes are high. He loves his daughter. They don't want contact between the human world and the mer world. It's dangerous and bad. He thinks thinks humans are evil. Well, I mean, he's just bigoted, really, is what it is. Yes. (laughs) He is big. He's very bigoted. It's hard to tell, like, what, like, those power dynamics sort of, like, would play out. Well, they're weird, right? Because he hates humans because they eat fish, which is correct. But the humans have no idea that fish are, like, sentient beings, and they have no idea even whether, or like, they don't think Trident is real, right? Like, they talk about him, but they talk about him as if he is a legend. Right, right, right. Like, and there's clearly some people who think that's real, but also plenty of people who are like, no, you're dumb. I mean, I feel like the humans aren't actually doing anything. I mean, you know, humans obviously are terrible in a lot of ways, but in this particular situation, I feel like they're not knowingly doing anything wrong. Like, they're not trying to, like kill off this other species and like make war on this other kingdom right 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 it's not like the sort of like pocahontas situation of like the disney pocahontas where like 
both sides are bad. <laughs> just like how right. that plays out. Which is yeah. like, oh, like they're savages. Like, no, they're savages. Like, that's not like the dynamic here. This is just like right. him being like, yeah, like there should be at least a line about like, oh, you should, like, we have to be kept a secret from them. Right. And it's also like, have you ever talked to a human? I mean, I don't know. It's also like, it would be nice if there was more explanation, especially because we don't have Ariel's mother. It would be like, oh, like if she was like killed by a human or something like that, at least would provide, I think, a more understandable explanation. Yes. I think that would be the explanation for yeah, like this type of story. Yeah, but it's not there. No. The, the last thing destroyed is, of course, the statue of Eric. And <sighs> uh, she's uh, she's got his she's got his little face. Yes, the iconic line, but daddy, I love him. Yeah. But daddy, but daddy, I love daddy, him. Daddy, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> that is like the big teenager energy. I know, right? And it's also like, like right you're 16 there. years old and you have never had a conversation with him, girl. Ugh, it's true. But you know what? She loves him. She does. She loves she it. Loves like her, her idea of like what love can be, she loves him. And yes. I remember that feeling. She absolutely thinks that she loves him. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. She loves love, and I think, too. She does. You know? She does. And then the eels <sighs> turn up. Yes. They're like, ooh. Let's imagine some. If there was We're apparently not going to be in the live action. <gasps> They're, like, being cut out of the live action ooh. story. Ooh. <sighs> That's so sad. I love Flotsam and Jetsam. I know. I think that they're incredible and very underrated. Yeah. They're also, so like, cool. villains need sidekicks. I know. I know. So, I don't know. Maybe they have a different sidekick in mind. Yeah. But... She needs, like... Her like, I mean, person is the wrong word because they're eels. But like, she like she needs her. Yeah, like, she her like body man. Yeah, yeah, yeah her cronk. <laughs> they're very convincing. They are. And they get her. They get her over there. They manage to convince her, and you know, Sebastian and Flounder see her, and Sebastian's like, "Come on, you can't do this." And she's like, "Oh, why don't you tell my father? You're good at that." And it's like, oh. "That's a good singer. It's a good singer." Mm-hmm. It's really good. It's really good. She's quick. Yeah. So we get to Ursula's lair, which is clearly inside some kind of creature with large teeth, which is significantly larger than any of them and also significantly larger than the shark. What is it? Is it like a sick dragon? I don't know, but it's great. Yeah, I think it's like prehistoric maybe. It's like, you know, a dinosaur skeleton that was like perfectly (laughs) preserved in an upright (laughs) position. (laughs) We get Poor Unfortunate Souls, the best song in Disney history. It's... So stunning. That song is, it is incredible. It gives you so much and story. It gives you so yes. much humor. Like body language. Just uh. <laughs> like the, <laughs> the delivery of that line is so important to yes. culture in general, I think. Yes. <laughs> like she just... uh she is just excellent. Yes. And it does such a good job at simultaneously like telegraphing that obviously she's evil, but also explaining why she would be compelling and why Ariel would go for this. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Mm-hmm. It it convinces me. I'm like, yeah. Absolutely. I'm like, what yeah. What do you no. have for me? Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> there is some fat shaming, which should be noted, right? That that's her kind of example that she gives of one of her good deeds is that she's got this couple and like basically like one of them is like a woman who is slightly overweight. And the other one is, like, a guy who like is, a like... a shrimpy guy. Yeah. yeah. And she, like, makes them into, like, stereotypical, like, Disney couple. <laughs> yeah, it's very... It's, like, like very much like this song is, like, giving you both. Like, it's giving you, like, not, yeah. like, body negativity, but then giving 
Ursula a lot of yes. body power. Yes. Like, that she is sort of this, like, big person, and that is, like, part of what gives her power. Yeah, is, like, like, the way the, she does sort of, like, body earth. language, yes. and she's, like, my, like, giant octopus body is also sexy. Like, it's great. Yes, yeah. She, like, really, like, knows who she is, but then, yeah, she's also, like, it's kind of, it's kind of, like, it's it's really giving you both. It's giving you both things. Yeah. But at the same time, I guess, like, you know, uh, not to, like, dig in too deep, but, like, you know, she's... She not, doesn't necessarily make, like, a commentary on, like, this this merwoman mer is fat. And, she, and right. if she was thin, she would get the man. She's sort of saying, like, this is what you want. And yeah. what you want might not be the best thing for you. But here yeah. you go. And, in fact, it isn't because um, they both end up being plankton or yes, whatever her weird situation is. Yeah. So. so I guess, like, the moral is, like, love yourself Heavens or you'll be a seaweed trim. Someone couldn't pay the price. <laughs> yeah, once or twice. <laughs> it's happened a lot, babe. This is your whole deal. Just once or twice. <laughs> she will, of course, be human for three days, at which point mm. Eric will have to give her the kiss of true love. She'll <sighs> turn back love. into a mermaid and belong to me. Oh, I know. Oh, God, yes. Three days. Easy. Three days. Three days. You better do it. I mean, yeah. but, like, we also don't know, like, if, if like, Eric is, like, 18, like, he's probably also... Right. Like, ready to fall in love in three days. <laughs> Eric would have been, like, Eric would have been here for the kiss of true love. If she had been able to explain her correct identity to him, he would have been, like, immediate. That would have happened in, like, an hour. They would have gotten married the next day. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We would have been yes. fine. She, she's, she's convincing she gets Ariel to do it. Yeah. And with the, uh, the price is, uh, her, her voice. Her voice, her beautiful voice. Ooh. I know, your voice. Your voice. Yes, your yeah. voice. Oh, Max in the background. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is Opie, who is also a very good girl. Opie. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, she is convinced. She signs her contract. I am going to be talking a lot about contracts later. Because yes. I think this movie <laughs> itself has some brilliant commentary on pre-modern contract culture. And... <laughs> Upon her signing, the spell is done, and she is inconveniently transformed right at the bottom of the ocean. And inexplicably, yes. Flounder and Sebastian, a small fish and a small crab, are able to carry her up to the surface before she dies. She's, like, literally never kicked legs. It's unclear if she still has the capacity to breathe underwater or not. No, I don't think she does. Like, that's never a... Right, but, like... It's confusing as to why, because we have no reason to believe that, like, she couldn't. Like, nothing about her upper body changes. True. But I guess something has changed. Yeah. Maybe she had, like, gills we couldn't see. Or something. Right. It's like, in really, the, really in the gills. Yeah. In the original story, she is instructed to go up to the castle, and her transformation yeah. takes place up up there. Which which would have made been more convenient. But I guess Ursula is, like, messing with her, so, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. She's like, if she dies, which is also like, I'm like, Ursula, I think you want you want to keep her alive, right? That's the whole extortion thing. A little bit at least, right? (laughs) If she just like passed out and sank back, she would just be like, well, guess you're uh, guess you're a plankton (laughs) a little sooner than I expected. I love that Disney has to then, like, kind of, like, handle the fact that she's, like, Winnie the Pooh in it. That she's Mm -hmm. just, like, bottomless for, like, a decent amount of time. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And they kind of, like, play around it. They don't really address it. Nobody's really talking about it. (laughs) But it is, like, very clearly happening. Right, yeah, like, going commando under, like, a rough ship sail tied up with rope. Like, that's the outfit she ends up with, poor thing. The outfit is wild. I it's hilarious. Was, 
I was like doing a little reading about sort of like the outfits of this film and and there was a blog that called that her project runway look which uh-huh. is very <laughs> funny. It's just like here's here's what you got throw it together. Oh my gosh. I also love that like sort of as she swirls around and gets the rock like the whole thing gets like magically simplified and it turns into right. this, like kind of like oh just kind of like a soft muslin dress yeah. with some like ropey trim. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> that's As just like magically a sail tied up body. with ropes right <laughs> yeah and the fact that she did not flash eric is like nothing short of miraculous yes 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 it's like oh that's that's a way to get the kiss of true love huh i know she also like takes off her mermaid bra which i guess she would have to but right. confusing yeah. as to why yeah she can't wear her cool mermaid bra it would seem suspicious <laughs> <laughs> i love her mermaid bra it's yes. really stunning i guess i haven't like talked about that yet but yeah and then and then yeah. lo and behold the prince shows up. Yeah, well, because Max finds her and also herds Eric to her like a good herding dog. I also have a herding dog. Uh, mine is an Australian Shepherd mix and have often seen her, you know, herd people when she's like, you are my people and you should all be in the same place. And it's like, this is what Max is doing. Such yes, a good point. I know. And point. he, Max loves Ariel, which like, I feel like should yeah. be all Eric needs. Yeah, you know. exactly. It's like, oh, like my dog likes her. Like then yeah. that should yeah. be the one for me. Like that's exactly. That's you know. If you just listened to the dog, then it would have been fine. <laughs> and she's at first he was like, "You look familiar. Are you the girl of my dreams?" And then she's like, nods. <laughs> and then she's like, and he's like, "Oh, but you don't have a voice. So you can't be that person." And it's like, it is very contrived that nobody can figure this out. It's very contrived. It's like, has no one ever lost their voice before? In this yes! Movie? Does laryngitis, laryngitis. Like, not Chill. exist? <laughs> like, also, like, you found this girl on the beach. Like, maybe yeah. she like, can't right talk next to she's where... in shock. Right? Yeah. There's so many reasons that she yeah. would have to, like, not be speaking, but still be that woman. Especially because she also, like, when he's like, you're the, we are the one. She's like, yeah. She's like, yes. She's like, yes. Yeah, like, she's nodding. She's like, thumbs up. Yeah, absolutely. Like, she is doing some solid nonverbal communication, and he is just not here for it. He's he's very clueless. Yeah. Also, we know that she can at least write her name, so why can't she write something? Right. I know. Like, she writes her name well. Very frustrating. You would assume in English. In English characters. He's very stupid. He is. He's very dumb. He doesn't know shit. Yeah. Eric the Himbo. But he is charmed by her. Yes. He brings her to the palace. She has her bath. Uh, they get to dinner. And I love Grimsby is like immediately enthusiastic about Ariel, despite the fact that she like per Scuttle's instructions is like brushing her hair with a fork and like blows smoke like heavily into his face. And he still is like 100% here for this, which I feel like really highlights how desperate he is for Eric to get married. Which is also wild because like they don't know who she is. Like yes! I don't think like a, like is a prince gonna marry like a mysterious unaffiliated orphan like <laughs> my theory is desperation because at this point we've indicated that there's at least one princess that he is like turned down mm-hmm. and so at this point i feel like he's maybe freaking out so he's like you seem to like this woman more than you've ever liked a lady before maybe you should marry her is she a complete like stranger that we like picked up off the like out of the sea and she can't talk? That's fine. That's really better than nothing. I'm pretty sure she's got a uterus and that's what we care about. He's really bringing like mother-in-law desperate for grandchildren yes. energy yes. to this. <laughs> <laughs> like that is what 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. they don't know who she is. <laughs> no, oh my don't. god. <laughs> don't worry oh my about god. it. Just marry oh her. God. Just marry her. Just marry her. Yes. We know. We know he should. We know who she is. Yeah. We 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 know that this is a great idea. That this would be an incredible alliance, an alliance exactly. never seen before in vaguely Mediterranean Europe, wherever they exactly. are. Exactly, a world changing alliance, arguably. <laughs> we have the song Les Poissons, it's Chef Louis, which I also fucking love. I loved as a child. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> Such an and incredible of, song. And of course, then there's the impl- the question, like, is he French? It's his, like, intense Frenchness. Is that mm-hmm. a sign that everybody is French or that no one else is French? I believe that it is a sign that no one else is French. Right. That is what I think because he's, like, so, like, clearly different. And he has yes. been, like, imported or, like, sent as a gift yeah. from France to Italy, wherever, wherever they are. Vaguely, <laughs> vaguely Mediterranean Europe. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that he is... He is he is French and no one else is French. I don't think yeah. that they are French. And I think the like animation of the scene is excellent. It's very chaotic. It's very fun. It's just so fun. He's just so funny and his mustache is so out of control. I did do a little yes. like deep I did like a little dig into like chef uniform mm-hmm. history. Mm. And yes, and I did learn that like the chef's hat and the double breasted jacket that you like are sort of classically French chefing wear is yeah. uh, was invented in the 1820s and then popularized Ooh. in the 1870s. So it kind of does actually like live in the space of this movie mm. a little bit, okay. um, which okay. I was surprised to see that that was actually somewhat yeah that's older than i might have guessed Um, yeah it's uh, a little late for my proposed dating for this movie but Mm. overall i think i think works yeah it kind of like is like happening in that space yes (laughs) they finally they finally get served dinner except for grimsby because grimsby gets served sebastian who does in fact wander off his plate comedy love it yeah (laughs) and also at best would have been raw so yeah like that crab is still alive (laughs) Crab is alive and raw. Very alive. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's yeah, Louis's a mess. I you gotta wonder, like, is this the first time Poor he's guy. gone completely off the rails? Probably not. Right. Like this is just Louis <laughs> having just like this is like the I feel like the midpoint of Louis's like complete nervous breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we just like, didn't see the way. first half. Yes. Yes. I mean, you know, we need the Ursula backstory, but we also need that Louis backstory. Yes. Yes. Maybe they're related. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Maybe he tried to cook the eels and, and they were like, absolutely oh not. And, and she cursed him with madness. Yeah. With like the vengeful spirit yeah. to murder all crabs, no matter Excellent. what, even if they're not even a good crab to eat. <laughs> He's so tiny. Why yes, instilled him with this like desperate need to like butcher these animals and like, butcher everything from the sea, yes. no matter what. Yes, because he like... also does seem to primarily and almost exclusively cook fish. They have a very fish heavy diet. Maybe it's Lent. Yes, yes. It probably is Lent. It's probably yeah. like to a certain degree a seafaring kingdom, a seafaring yes. nation. Just a lot of fish. Grimsby also suggests that they take air that Eric take Ariel on a tour mm. of the kingdom. Which he does, and I distinctly remember that I had the Ariel doll, and I distinctly remember her having this dress. Mm-hmm. The, like, kind yes. of, like, blue dress with, like, a weirdly located bodice. Yes, I think that, like, this outfit falls into sort of, like, 50s-inspired Renaissance fair. Yes. Wear of, like, that, like, you also see Aurora wearing something similar. You see, like, yeah. Belle wear something kind of similar. It's sort of that, like, Ren fair wench, like, nobody's really... <laughs> 
like <laughs> taking this too seriously right um, and she looks super cute she I looks very it. cute and she's also, very charming even though she can't talk she's so charming day two of legs she's already wearing pumps right like, i'm impressed like i can't wear pumps and i've had legs at for 34 years so <laughs> i was really impressed i was like girl yeah. you're already in those high heels yeah on cobblestone yeah. I know. Like, oh, like give her a flat. Thing. Jesus Christ. It's cute. They see a puppet show. They dance. Sebastian and Flounder and Scuttle are like, why aren't you making out right now? And it's like, whoa. Like, I, I mean, I know they do in the context only have three days and they've got to get a move on. But in like reality, it's like, okay, like people are allowed to like get to know each other. Like, yeah, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we get to like one of the other very iconic songs. Kiss the girl girl. while they're voting, which is beautiful. I feel like the consent implications of this song are kind of not fantastic. I'll have to like, listen, I'll have to like read the actual lyrics. So it's this, you know, you want her. Mm -hmm. Maybe she wants you. There's only one way to ask her, Mm. which is just to like surprise kiss her. It's not to Mm. ask her with words. Can I kiss you? Can I kiss you? To which she could nod, even if she is not able to verbally consent. There are plenty of ways to non-verbally consent. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, yeah it's a good song though it, it is a good song yeah and again we've got sebastian really showing off his skills and especially because like this is an entirely new environment because this is i think freshwater fish and birds etc yes i was concerned about that i was like i don't think that like salt water beings like flounder or sebastian can be comfortably in right like freshwater so like maybe We're it's definitely like skipping a, over that maybe it's yeah garbage. maybe it's it's like, yeah, maybe it's like the Delta. You're close to the Delta, like where yeah. where this yeah. like sort of like body of water meets the sea. But it also like there's freshwater turtles in there. So yeah. <laughs> I think it's just not. I yeah, I think know. it's maybe one of the things that we're not worrying too much about. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he has total command over the space, which is really stunning. He does. He really, he really nails the song. Yes. And I do also love by that it like begins with like Scuttle being like, I know what to do. This like <laughs> mediocre white dude. Um, and then Sebastian is like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You're not doing this. I'm the one who has, who has talent and expertise here. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my God. I know Scuttle is just so gung-ho. He's like, I'm just about this energy that every like he you know, he does sing a little bit within the song itself and also gets gets silenced. Right. Oh my gosh. Also, like, really quick, when he's trying to guess her name, and Sebastian is like, Ariel. And he goes, Ariel? And I'm like, why didn't you also say Ariel? Ariel. Her name is Ariel. <laughs> Like, immediately, like, Americanizes it. I also love these selections of names that he suggests he's, like, Mildred. Mildred. Is the first. Which, like, shout out to my high school friend Mildred. Like, people (laughs) act like that's, like, the worst name ever. And she was amazing. I feel like it's just, it's just really old-fashioned. But not from this time. From, like, Mm -hmm. like, in this time, it would have been very newfangled. But in our time, it seems very old-fashioned. And so I feel like it's, yeah, it's this name that you just think of as, like, grandmother name. Right, right. Yeah. They're about to kiss. She has, she does have some real, like, come hither eyes, speaking of nonverbal form of consent. Yeah, it's really happening. (laughs) (laughs) But their kiss is, of course, interrupted by Flotsam and Jetsam. And so Ursula has got to take matters into her own tentacles. I know. She says, like, oh, this girl's better than I thought. (laughs) Little tramp. (laughs) 
Which not supporting the slut shaming, but Ursula is saying like little tramp is excellent. It's so funny. It's so funny. It really is funny. That makes me. She's like, I didn't expect her to listen to me about this body language stuff. Come on. I know. I I was like, she's like, she's got some skills. Like Ariel, Ariel's good at this. She's good at seduction. She's good at non-verbal seduction. It doesn't help that she is just incredibly beautiful. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the fact that she is absolutely stunning and has constantly perfect hair. You know, I mean, could have something to do with it, but you know. So Ursula transforms. And meanwhile, you know, Grimsby has basically like has been like talking to Eric and Eric is basically like convinced like he's going to stop worrying about this like mystery lady and he's going to go for Ariel and he tosses away his flute. And then he hears the singing. (sighs) And also, in addition to that, she double cheats by like clearly also like bewitches him. So there's like a light that comes out of the the seashell necklace, Mm -hmm. which I also definitely had a point in my life where like I got like a seashell off the beach and like wore like a seashell necklace. Yes. (laughs) I love that. Oh my god. Yeah, that was that was definitely a phase that I had in my like early teens. I will enchant people with a yes, little magical. This is my enchanting seashell. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. So they hear about the wedding and they go over and tell Ariel. And again, bless her heart, Ariel is like really excited because like she, I guess, missed the memo that you should like, you're supposed to like tell somebody if you're planning on marrying them the following day. <laughs> so she's just like, Ariel's getting married tomorrow. It's got to be me, right? Right. I know. Oh <laughs> my thing. God. Poor girl. girl. I'm so sorry, baby. <laughs> yes. Not. It's not. Of course cool. it isn't. It it's is Vanessa. Love Vanessa as a villain. Love name. Vanessa. And she's and she's got a good look. I mean, because she just pays, she's like mean brunette Ariel is her aesthetic. Yes. Yes. So, yes, she is. Yes. And is also wearing this dress, which is like one stage up from underwear. Yeah. Well, it's like she's like a little saucier because she's got the sort of like like lacing in the front yeah. in front of the boobies. It's like yeah. just like a little bit cuter and sexier than Ariel's, like yeah. on the town outfit. But you can also tell that like Eric, Eric has like completely lost his personality. So it is, I will note also obvious that he has been bewitched and is not just an idiot. Yeah, yeah. Like he's pretty like he's like a man of action. He's like kind of vivacious. You'd think they would have noticed if he was just like Yes. Like why isn't it because he's just yeah, he's just like, We'll be married by tomorrow at that sunset. The boat leaves. And like no one's like the boat leaves. Are you You okay? okay? You okay, buddy? Like I and I guess like that comes in of like, oh, like does he just like have this princely power that like you can't really say no to him or like question what's going on or like question like, what Grimsby he, like, questions him and him challenges him all the time I know, I know I know and maybe it's like Grimsby secretly is a little like well you're finally acting like a prince is supposed to so right yeah maybe he's like oh you've finally grown up and stopped being uh interesting or funny or childlike like this is the first time he also has good posture because like mm. Eric I feel like has a real like kind of slouching like yeah, very, he's like, like, like very relaxed. Yeah. yeah, and here he's staring. Like he's standing like ramrod straight for the only time is like when he's yeah. bewitched. Is like the only time he is standing like perfectly straight. Yeah. No, I think that he could be more convincingly bewitched. I think that Ursula does have the power, yeah. so it was really like kind of on her to like not do a yeah. spell. Yeah, I feel like she's at this point. She's like, I don't have time. I don't care. We just yeah. have to get this in and get this out. And like, basically, yeah, like basically, she also does really just need to delay. Yes. Yes. For like right. twelve hours, essentially, if that. Yeah. yeah. They're mm-hmm. on our very baroque wedding boat. 
And mm-hmm. Ariel's crying. And then Scuttle, for once, is the hero because Scuttle goes and is flying past the boat and hears Vanessa singing her mean song. I love her mean song. And she also says, I will look divine, which I'm like, oh, I reference. I know. Oh my God. I love it. Yes. It's so good. Yes. And Scuttle, yes. yes. He, he sees what's going on. And in the on. mirror, yeah, she is Ursula. So it's, <sighs> you know, we've, so cool. we've got like a clear smoking gun proof. It's not just like <laughs> she seems weird. <laughs> She seems weird. We have no idea where she came from. She's also fully unaffiliated to any yes. <laughs> any major family or country in the region. Don't worry about and it. And I love like like I remember as a kid like being really obsessed with like Scuttles trying to deliver the news to them. And where like, he sort of like can't get straight. it out. He like cannot speak. The watch, like, the, the watch, witch, the witch, the, the mirror, which was what? watching in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's very wild. I remember thinking that that was, like, really good comedy. Yes. It kind of is. Yeah. No, and he's he's excellent. And, yeah. And so, yeah, like, Scuttle is a very solid comedic performance, Mm -hmm. especially, yeah, in this scene. Sebastian takes charge. He's going to go get Trayton. Flounder is going to get Ariel to the boat. And Scuttle is in charge of spoiling that wedding. (laughs) Which is, like, put this pure being of chaos in action. Yes. really nails it. He can also yes. command a room in the way that Sebastian can. Yes, but but has <laughs> but can command it for different things. Like yes. he can, Sebastian can command a room for beauty, and uh, Scuttle can command a room for chaos. <laughs> yes, yes, I love the chaos scene. I love all these animals just like wigging out. Like I the, love the seals are excellent, her, and her full face. Yes, full face start like. <laughs> yeah, I love like the seal bouncing her up and down. Yes. Oh my god, it's so funny. She, yeah, she also weighs like 45 pounds soaking Of wet. course. <laughs> and of course, so Max has always hated her, and she kicks Max in the face, which is clearly the worst thing Ursula does in this entire movie. Clearly. It is. They are really like, don't be on her side. Right? She right? kicks a dog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, you kicked a dog in the face with heels. Right? It's like, oh, my you god. thought she was charming? Uh-uh. uh-uh. No, she bad. No. She no. bad. <laughs> Yeah, that's like Ursula's like one non-redeemable moment, just kicking Max in the face. I know. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm like, yeah, I kind of get your vendetta, whatever. Yeah. Oh my god, Ursula. Yeah. Yes. She she's bad. But Max is not the final real hero because Max is the one who bites her on the ass at the perfect time, and you know Grimsby is yes. like trying to hold back Max, but maybe not that hard. And uh, Max is also like like Grimsby is no match for Max, and no. so he gets away, <laughs> and he. Uh, does his nice, like, butt bite, and uh, that is when that, like, yeah, the necklace flies off and it smashes and Ariel gets her voice back and can be like, yo, it was me all along. Come on, you idiot. (laughs) I mean, she's like, "Eh." but, you know, in my version. I know. (laughs) Oh, my God, girl. Thank God. She got her her voice back, but she didn't make it. They just barely They just missed it by like 30 seconds. He starts to kiss her. She turns into a mermaid. Uh, Ursula turns, or Vanessa turns back into Ursula. She turns into a mermaid and she kind of just like holds up her hands in like a shrug. She's like, ah, (laughs) sorry. Yeah, she's like, trying to tell you there is a thing, but... Oh and Eric, goodness. you know, to his credit, is just like, actually, will take takes all this in stride. And it's just like, yeah, no, I mean, okay, whatever. She's a mermaid and there's this weird sea witch and I almost married the weird sea witch and that's fine. I'm going to go get back my girlfriend. Yeah, he's he's very action focused. He's very action oriented. Yeah. He's not going to like deal too much with like the emotions or the complications right now. Maybe yeah. he never will. Probably he uh, never right. will. 
but <laughs> yeah I mean you know because like I, I feel like there would be like the rom-com version of this where yes. it would be like he would be like mad at her for like an hour and would be like why didn't she tell me yes exactly. <laughs> why did she lie to me no he jumps right in he, he jumps, jumps right, right in. in and Trident also comes right to the rescue he tries to just break the contract with his trident and she's like nope can't do that legal Binding, completely unbreakable. Yeah, that is an incredible contract. Her magic is very strong. Right? The power of contracts. Very strong magic. Yes. Yes. It is. Contracts have power. (laughs) I love it. I'm like leaving. Yeah, they have their little, little, like, (laughs) they have their little fight. They have their little sort of like, let's, let's talk about this, but. They're not having yeah. it. Yeah, and he agrees to uh, change the terms of the contract mm-hmm. such that now she gets him, which was a dumb idea because <laughs> immediately that means he turns into a plankton. She gets his crown. She gets the trident. She becomes very large. That is scary. When she it's scary, big Ursula, and her voice like gets that? deeper. Oh my god! It's I remember being like uncomfortable. The sea like and all its spoils bow to my power. Oh, God, it's so good. And she like yeah. has that whirlpool with her like yes. with her trident. The crown looks amazing yes. on her, I will say that. I know. She looks great yeah. with the crown. But... Yeah, and also very proto-Aladdin. Like this is very much sort mm. of the same scene as uh, Jafar turning into a genie. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly the same vibe. And yes. And like that moment of just extreme hubris for both yes. of them in yes. those moments. I do like that Ariel does a slightly before Ursula becomes huge, does get to rescue Eric, although she rescues him by she kind of like pulls Ursula's hair back so that the trident, uh, when it's supposed to hit Eric, instead hits the eels, which uh, rest in peace, flotsam and jetsam. Oh, it's so sad. So sad. And she gets she, yeah. that's she gets really upset. Those are her babies. Yeah. Those are Those her, are her like, babies. My poor little her... poopsies. I know. Poor little they're, poopsies. They're only friends. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, she's got Ariel in the whirlpool. She is about to kill Ariel. But Eric, who knows how boats boat, comes in and like harpoons her and she electrocutes herself and that's that. Yes. I also love the image like of as she's like dying, you get this Kraken imagery of her like grabbing onto the ship. Yes. And, like, tearing and you've it also down. like get all see of the outline of her skeleton as she's being electrocuted. I love oh, the animation so of cool. this scene. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it's it's such a good death scene. It's so yes, like visually exciting. Yes, and you see all of the plankton being transformed back yes. into their Muriselves, Trident, of course, included. Bad Dad Sea Dad decides to uh, finally let go of his unreasonable bigotry against humanity. <laughs> allow interracial marriage yes (laughs) (laughs) i mean like how can he not like eric did it yeah eric did what he could not which was destroy exactly exactly he turns ariel into a human which i also love because it's like you could have done that the whole time you just wouldn't (sighs) but you could have the entire time i also do appreciate that while when ursula changes ariel ariel is way naked when trayton changes ariel he's like i'm gonna add a dress onto this and it's like, what a gorgeous sort of like 1989, 1990 uh, yeah. dress. She looks no, like it's so like stunning in it. It's, it's like very that like, slinky jersey, probably. It's, it's very prom. <laughs> yes, yes. 
Fitting. Like, I think it's I actually basically prom. wore that dress in black to prom. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, love her sparkle dress. So gorgeous. And then we just yes. get right into that wedding again. Yes. And Max is very happy and the mermaids are there. Chef Louis is trying to continue his vendetta against crabs and is not successful (laughs) and he loses all of his teeth. It's so unnecessary. It's so it's just unnecessary. This little, like, yeah, like Sebastian gets his victory. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah like, good, good, good for Sebastian. I guess a I guess. lunatic French chef. I know. I feel kind of bad for Louis, but it's like Sebastian. I'm like, good, good for you. Like, you get your win. Yeah. <laughs> and Eric bows to Triton, which is very nice. Mm-hmm. And see, what I want is I want to see the treaty for the alliance that's like now regulating like human fish consumption. Yes. Like, who is on the committee? From both sides, like what is, what are the terms that are being hammered out? Like, are they never going to eat fish again? Are they going to eat some fish? And then it's like, are there certain like species of fish that Trident's going to like throw under the bus? (laughs) Right? Right? (laughs) Do they just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think it was, I think it was Bojack Horseman or Tukin Birdie, one of the Lisa Hanawalt like pieces that like Mm -hmm. dealt with sort of these like animal people that also like have animals that they eat and that there is yes, this like Bojack had an episode with that them. dealing with chicken. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah. And that they do have these chickens that are like not as sentient as the rest of the like people in the world. But they're so, not like, still yeah, but then it's very uncomfortable because like they're not as sentient, but they're not totally non sentient. Right. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's very unclear <laughs> yes and yeah so yeah so here as well as i said i i really would like to see that treaty mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah how is this alliance being made between these kingdoms yeah, exactly of course you know made possible by the fact that we are in a very very vague time and place but despite that i am still going to talk about the possible dating for this and some uh, you know on notes and off notes in the vera at falso section where we talk about what this film got right and wrong yay i have some notes as well about costumes yes. oh awesome yeah so my sense and this is not really on costumes but on other things is that i think that the general like material culture wise i think this movie could be seen as being a about like mid to late 17th century is where I would probably, yeah, probably late 17th century is where I would probably want to place it. We are, we are doing some colonizing. Uh, we're doing some slave trading, which is of course not in this movie. But what we do have is I would say a general Baroque aesthetic mm-hmm. in terms of decor, in terms of the boats, and in particular in terms of, I think the ridiculous statue of Eric feels mm. very, feels very Baroque to me. It feels very like the Baroque statue of a ruler that your, your normal ruler might have been excited about. But you know, Eric, of course, not so much because he's a cool ruler. Yeah, it's interesting. You're seeing like there's two sort of instances costume wise, which is like on the on the sculpture, you're getting those like slashed sleeves, mm-hmm. which is very like kind of like Renaissance-y. And then yeah. and you also get those same kind of sleeve slashes on Ariel's pink dress. Right. But you're also getting nothing else from that pink dress except like yeah. a sort of like 1850s Victorian bell shaped right. skirt. <laughs> yeah. A little messy. Yeah, it's a little kind of everywhere. And in terms of the various material objects we've seen, at least some of them, although I will acknowledge not all of them, fit into that periodization. Fork depends on where we are, but especially if we're thinking about Mediterranean Europe in the kind of 15th, 16th century, we're seeing the growing use of forks. Interesting. I think we can I think we can justify the presence of a fork, especially because, you know, if we're saying this is the Mediterranean, there's, you know, trade going back and forth. There had been forks in 
the in Italy, certainly going back to the 11th century, even older, going back to the uh, the Byzantine Empire, so the other end of the Mediterranean. So I I feel like the fork is legit. Yeah, I will justify the fork. <laughs> and will you smoking? justify the pipe? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the pipe pipe is a little fuzzier. Pipe smoking does become popular in Europe uh, starting around the 16th century, but this particular style of pipe is off. The mm. 17th century style of pipe you normally see are these uh, clay pipes that tend to have a longer kind of thin, a kind of long, thin, straight stem and a somewhat smaller bowl. Mm, like a uh, hobbit. So pipe. that would have been yeah. So that would have been like the style of the of the time and so uh, this is a later pipe style mm-hmm. the pipe i can't quite justify well i think the pipe does fit in with sort of like grimsby's like georgian kind of get up with his frock coat and True. his like jabot and his breeches and he sort of like yeah. lives in the same world and his little his little kind of like white ponytail like all of that kind of like yeah can sort of like live in the same space like just with him <laughs> yeah yeah because he is a very like that look in particular especially because it's like not ornate in any way it's like very mm-hmm. simplified it like is moving into that more yeah. like, simplified men's dress yes yeah some other items globes uh, you know globes of uh, you know the world globe of this kind we have uh, you know dating back to the late 15th century and so you know we're we're good on that we've got got you know got a helmet got an hourglass got a candelabra those all seem reasonable fun fact the jack-in-the-box at which we see it which like freaks sebastian out it dates back to the 16th century that's wild i guess like right? yeah it, it probably didn't that quite look of... like that but still right that the sort of like tinkering time of like yeah. sort of like making more complex machinery that makes sense yeah she has like a little collection of corkscrews which do are which are referred to starting in the late 17th century okay so, okay not not said. bad the music box is a somewhat discordant note so there are clocks from the 17th century that are kind of structured like that in terms of having dancing figures that are like mm. set up so that they kind of move around when things happen with the clock and when you wind it up music boxes like that would have been later so there would have been music boxes at this time but they would not have had those like standing figures on top of them that's later there is also in her collection she has a real painting which i love oh right yes what painting is this Yes, it is Georges Latour's Magdalene with the Smoking Flame. So a French artist painting dated 1640. So that would be our definitive, you know, we've got to have after 1640. Because, you know, that's one that she's like singing like, what's a fire and why does it, what's the word, burn? Mm. And she looks at the painting and it's a painting with the woman looking into the flame. Mm -hmm. Because obviously she doesn't have a flame underwater, but she has a painting with the flame. And how is that, how is that painting surviving (laughs) Yeah, which is a big question. In salt water. Right. But, you know, but but also there are actually two copies of the painting now. There is one that can be found in the Louvre and one that can be found in the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. So maybe there was a third that was hanging out under the sea for a bit and then got wrecked by Trident. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. Yes. Yeah. A third third mystery copy sadly my beloved max does not fit in quite as well in that he is very clearly i feel like supposed to be an old english sheepdog which is a breed that according to the akc dates from the 18th century but we certainly cannot say that there weren't ancestors looking this way of the old english sheepdog perhaps running around in like late 17th century southern france (laughs) yeah i think that or whatever 
I also think that, like, as a seafaring nation, like, would, Eric would be more, as a sailor himself, would maybe be more likely to have a water dog or, like, yes, a retriever or, like, something like that. Maybe, like, a plug for my old family's dog. Maybe a Portuguese water dog. Yes. Important. Oh, I, yeah. I don't know the history of the breed. But... I also don't offhand. I had to look up the uh, old English sheepdog. Yeah. But, yeah, because also, I mean, well, actually, Max, we see, is not maybe necessarily especially excited about the water. He's very hesitant to jump into the water. I mean, which fair. So I do not know anything about old English sheepdogs, and I don't know how common this is. I can certainly say that my herding breed dog is also not big on water. Mm. And she had uh, she had some lab friends who, you know, they <laughs> loved, like, we would go to the lake, and they loved the water, and she was like, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> so yeah, Eric, Eric, I think might have been perhaps in some, Max is excellent, but I think perhaps, uh, yeah, a Portuguese water dog or a lab might have better suited his lifestyle. Yeah, I think so. I think a little, a dog that wants to swim, yeah. dog that's going to get that fish. Yeah. Max, Max just wants to herd. Yeah, he does. Oh, Max. I also wanted to talk about food history and mm. in particular about fish consumption. Mm. Shout out in particular to my uh, graduate advisor, Paul Friedman, who is a uh, food historian among his other interests and uh, who I had an excellent time teaching for his, uh, as a teaching fellow for his food history uh, undergraduate course when I was a grad student. He has a great new article about fish. So first of all, fish is a high prestige item. It's both an item that's kind of necessary to eat at certain times, at least if you're a, you know, Catholic Christian type, because on on Lent and on Fridays, you are not supposed to eat meat, but you can eat fish. And there's even some very creative, like, discussions of what might count as fish. Like, you know, if you're a bird, but you're a bird that mostly lives in the water, maybe you're a fish. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about it. But uh, people were very fond of fish. Uh, There's also fun religious stories about fish, including there's a fisherman who was uh, was given the Eucharist, but he was like, well, I feel like I'm sinful. And so I shouldn't actually eat it. And he put it in the mouth of a fish. And then 10 years later, he confessed his sin and this fish like swims up and gives him his Eucharist back. Oh, my God. Amazing. I love it. So cool. The fish is a messenger. Yes. And another story where there's this woman who cuts off her hand so that her father won't like make her get married. <laughs> I like that's just like her way of making her making herself unappealing, I guess. And she's just like, I don't have a hand. Surprise, you still want to marry me? Yeah, um, you can't put a ring on it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and the hand then gets discovered like completely fine and able to be reattached in a sturgeon. Oh my God. A fish that is, in oh fact, gosh. mentioned in the film. Sturgeon would have been very, like, high-prestige fish, as were some kinds of eels. I believe moray eels you're not supposed to eat, Mm-mm. but uh, other kind of eels were popular. Uh, lampreys, in particular, are in the eel family, and they would have been an absolute delicacy in the medieval world. Yeah, yeah. And I also spent a little time looking around, and especially as we move into early modernity, we have a number of recipes for how to cook crabs. So you might broil them or butter them or stuff them. That seems to be what uh, they want to do in this particular film. And so you boil the crab, you take the meat out of the shells, you mince the claws with a fresh eel. Mm. Got some got some spices, got some salt, got some cloves, got some mace, got some herbs. Also some egg yolks, grapes, gooseberries, and barberries, and an artichoke you can toss in there. There's like a lot of this like of like stuff happening. Yeah, that's like a flavor explosion. 
Yeah. And that's very much like this is like, that's very much the style of medieval cooking is that there's a lot of mixing between sweet and savory and it's Mm. very heavy on the spices. And a lot of places starting in about the 17th century, they're moving toward uh, more simple preparations. And that's actually one of the other things that I find interesting. So we have this choice, right, to make Louis aggressively French. And the idea of the French chef, to some extent, does kind of fit in because the film, assuming my argument is valid that I am placing this movie in the late 17th century, what historians now see as being a culinary revolution in French cooking could arguably be dated to about 1651, which is when a cook whose real name is Francois Pierre, but who is known better as La Varenne, publishes his cookbook, La Cuisinier Francois, which is basically seen as being the birth of French high cuisine. One of these big differences from medieval cooking is that it's emphasizing uh, tasting the natural flavors of the dish. Mm. So, you know, you'd want to taste the flavor of the crab meat and not necessarily disguise it with all of these berries and spices. And he, in general, de-emphasizes spices and also has more of a distinction between sweet and savory. Mm. This is something that it was that, like, these mixes of, like, you would have meat or fish dishes with fruit and with sugar and with spices like cinnamon, which they are kind of associated with sweet dishes. That would be a kind of hallmark of medieval and uh, early Renaissance cooking but that as we're moving into the mid to late 17th century and onward, that those things are de-emphasized and uh, are kind of relegated to the dessert course. This is fascinating. I yeah. love this. So yes, food wow. history. Lots is of food, food history. history is awesome. Uh, otherwise, and uh, oh, and so do you have things about costuming as well? I could do a little run through of sort of like the major sort of like looks that we're seeing. In terms of Ariel, you know, we have our classic mermaid look, which is very iconic and Mm -hmm. sort of using these like bright, bright colors. These like this green, purple, red hair. That's what you got, which is like very like visually strong. Her pink, you know, her sail look is is what it is. Her pink, her pink dress. She's got that kind of mid-Victorian bell-shaped skirt, which would have had a lot of understructure under it. But then she also Mm -hmm. has these slashed renaissance puff sleeves it's sort of giving uh-huh. us a little bit more of an older look it's off the shoulder which is actually also pretty mid-victorian but also very 80s right. i think that like right uh, whenever you're looking at the way that like costumes are created that are like you know period pieces or even sort of when it's more vague you're always going to be seeing it through an eye of the person who is in the time that you are in right now so if someone yeah. in the 80s is designing costumes from the mid-victorian era they are going to it's not it's impossible to not bring a sensibility of like Absolutely. what is interesting to look at or like what is like trendy or flattering yeah sort of like so you see you see this sort of 80s especially with like her big bangs yeah as well like that's all that's all reading you know but then you also have like her sisters who all have these different very iconic hairstyles and some of them yeah. look a little bit oh, they're so fun. sort of like medieval and moving into renaissance uh and some of it is just like fun yeah her little pink nightgown would not have been pink but <laughs> hmm. it is like a very clear sort of visual chemise uh that she would have been yeah. both like sleeping in and wearing underneath her her dresses definitely wouldn't have been pink would have been white <laughs> it would have been unbleached white probably she's got her on the town look very 50s renaissance fair that cute little bodice and a skirt yeah. and, a, and a chemise kind of like shirt underneath which is sort of like very cute and very like cute little pumps i feel like every yes <laughs> like every like disney princess is wearing like a cute little pump 
when I like, feel like really, I really like, wanted at various points of my life to wear that sort of like Disney low heeled pump. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, no, this isn't comfortable. I don't want this. No, thank you. No, <laughs> no. And I think a flat shoe would have been a little bit more appropriate for sort of like the time periods Probably. that we're working in. Yes. And even like sort of within that 50s thing as well, if you're thinking about like Audrey Hepburn as like a sort right. of like princess on the town, like she, you know, she's got yeah. a little ballet flat with that sort of like a-shaped skirt uh, and then she's got her wedding dress which yeah it's like very wasp waisty she's got huge leg of mutton sleeves that would be very uh, like edwardian and also again like right. is reading you know and she still has sort of this like a-shaped bell-shaped skirt mm-hmm. so she's got sort of edwardian on top and then kind of like vaguely whatever on the bottom but you're what you actually are ending up with is like honestly like a wedding dress from the late 80s early 90s yes uh, that's absolutely like, what i was thinking looking at those like giant yeah shoulders <laughs> yes yes it is like the only thing in here that would read is really Edwardian but then like also is just gonna give you just gonna give you 80s which I yeah. think is very very fun and it's such a cute iconic look I think she looks so cute and beautiful Eric you know t- <laughs> like he's just sort of in 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 a look that it's like very visually strong you sort of get it you've got his little red sash Eric's outfit you know, looks like something that is vaguely nautical that's maybe what a stripper would wear yeah like Eric's yes, outfit looks yes. like you could maybe tear it away really fast he's a he looks like a sexy sailor you know he's got <laughs> his little boots and He's very, very cute. And yeah, and he does read us that sort of like man of the people. I just want to be a sailor. I'm not a prince. His wedding look is kind of like vaguely European prince king. It's kind of like. It's kind of military, like kind of militaristic. Yeah, it is militaristic. He's got his like epaulets and and it looks, it's not like kind of like uh, industry or it, it reads similarly to like a contemporary royal wedding. Mm-hmm. Like what you would see them wear, yeah. but in white because he's in the navy because or you know he's yeah. more like not a close. You have that white, blue, gold, <laughs> yeah, kind of look. So it's kind of like late eighteen hundreds, kind of turn of the century. Yeah, cool, nice looking jacket. And that's his. That's his sort of. And you know, yeah. and he's striped down his pants as well. Yeah, we talked. We talked about chef stuff. Grimsy is like very Georgian, very formal. Right. Um, so actually lives more sort of like. Is, is an older look than, like, a lot of yeah. what else we're seeing. But it's also very pared down, which is, like, sort of what you see men's wear moving in as time moves on. And, yeah, and then Ursula, I mean, it just looks like a diva. Like, she just looks like a oh, yeah. diva. That is, that's yeah. the look for her. Absolutely. Um, that doesn't change at all. <laughs> it just is. Yeah. And we have, like, little notes of other things. You know, like, the wedding guests have a little bit more, like, hair rolls, like, Renaissance-style right. yeah. little caps and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so that... That is actually where it's interesting. You see a little little bit, you know, this sort of like bodice with the pointed right. sort of center front mm-hmm. and that sort of lines, the lines of the bodices looking a little, just a little hair, sort of like a little bit older, which is, uh, which is interesting because yeah. it yeah. kind of doesn't look like anything else in, right. in it. And it doesn't look like the people you see at the castle who are just right. more like server, <laughs> you know, so you have like washerwomen yeah. who are again, like yeah. uh, Renaissance wench. So that's sort of like what you're dealing with. It's like a little bit all over the map. It's but it does. I I do think it kind of like creates like a pretty strong visual. Yeah. And I did like reading the original from 1836 actually is like super interesting. It it 
it gets placed very Mediterranean because they talk about mm-hmm. palm trees, but it also like the prince is like described as like being very dark and he has dark hair and black eyes and he's very hmm. he's a little bit darker. Interesting. They talk about like temples and slave girls and hmm. you know air, the little mermaid when she is on land is being wrapped in like silks and muslins. Um, so and so it actually like reads just it is like kind of orientalism like it's i was really gonna say that, like, like it almost i feel like is like positioning it into this would no longer be a going concern mm-hmm. after the late 15th century but it almost is like oh like the sultanate of granada yeah it's like like a little bit like turkish like are we dealing with kind of like le corsair era sort of like yeah. which like sort of for the 1830s is like absolutely what was happening like in ballet it right. was happening in opera you're getting this like yeah huge, like beginning to lean towards orientalism and so that was really interesting but also the yeah. story places you in a place with palm trees, but also a place with icebergs. And that doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. Um, so we've got some geographical fuzziness. So. Very much so. It's like, oh, like for Hans Richard Anderson, I'm sure like icebergs would be something he knows about. But yeah. maybe like wouldn't have known that in the Mediterranean there are not icebergs. <laughs> right. Uh, yes. But yes, that was like really kind of an interesting thing about the the, the source material. Yeah. Was this a little bit more more like orientalist exotic yeah yeah that's very interesting for this yeah and i feel um, like this could be interesting yeah to like think about this as being in i mean you know in the film of course eric et al are like very like white european type but to think about yes. this is like oh maybe like eastern mediterranean actually as opposed to western mediterranean mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think it's like he's slightly olivey like that's yeah like right like yeah just just <laughs> Just like a, just like a wisp. Right, like, like I think about this is like some he's... polity and like 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 within the Ottoman Empire. Like, right, interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like kind of. It was very. It was very interesting to to read that and see. Because I didn't, I, I don't think I usually think of like, you know, I associate Orientalism with like operas and ballets and, uh-huh. and that, but not with like fairy tales too much. But yeah. there are like a ton of it in fairy tales. You just sort of have to like look for it. Yeah. That was interesting to see. And of course, that's also yeah. a much less happy ending as well, right? I mean, she like <gasps> dies yeah. and does not end she, up with him. So she die. she almost dies. But then her spirit is taken up by the air spirits. Right. And like what she's after is like the prince, but also she's after an immortal soul because mermaids don't have immortal mm. souls. But then these like air spirits sort of like pick her up and they're like, we can work our way towards an immortal soul. And so hmm. you will be with us now and you will work towards an immortal soul. Interesting. Yes. Because I also... Hmm. In it, or, like, the sea witch does say, like, if you don't marry him by a certain point, like, you will turn into sea foam and die. Uh-huh. And she pretty much almost does, but then she is, like, saved. because. And I think it's she is saved because she is actively trying to get an immortal soul. Right. So there's that, like... I think you know, that that's very, why the storyteller, right? Yes, I think that's why the storyteller <laughs> is like, oh no, like if you search for an immortal soul, even if you don't like get it this way, maybe you can get it another way. It's okay, right? Yeah, it's been a really long time since I read the original, and I was like, because yeah, I also remembered her dying. Yeah. But yeah, she's so she sort of dies. Yeah, okay, and becomes a spirit, a spirit of the yeah. air. Yeah, I mean, she's getting you know, she's not like alive, alive. She might be getting an immortal soul, she's, but she's certainly not with the prince or with her family. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Those things yeah. do not happen for her. Yeah. Yeah, the fairy tale as well as the film, we definitely have a sort of, you know, as is often the case in fairy tales, a kind of vague, in terms of both aesthetics and other circumstances, we have a kind of very vague, a long time ago kind of setting. Mm-hmm. 
exactly. Obviously, like my argument that this is like precisely the like late 17th century is somewhat sarcastic. But as I said, we also do we have this we have this real painting. And I think the not all but a lot of the aesthetics fit within and material culture fit within that period. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I love your I love your analysis. I think it it sounds really great. Thank you. And I now wanted to get into the Historia ad Veritas section is where I talk about a real person, event, or phenomenon. I want to talk about contracts and notarial culture, which is like my nerdy thing that is very specifically my research. I spend all of my time reading medieval contracts. That's amazing. (laughs) Keep going. I'm, I'm riveted. I'm already ready. And this is actually a big, a big pet peeve of mine is that in the many inaccurate tropes about the medieval past. One that you see very frequently is the idea that there's no law, essentially, that we're in this kind of pre-legal or, I guess, or between legal moment where Mm. everything is just essentially chaos and anarchy. And that is very much not the case. And I can tell you it's not the case because I have read literally thousands of legal contracts. (laughs) Literally thousands. Amazing. Contracts are prevalent as a means of enforcing various kinds of arrangements throughout the medieval and early modern world. And in particular, when we're talking about a vaguely Western Mediterranean setting, which is approximately where I would say I might locate this, the most important way in which people who are of various social strata would create and enforce contracts would be through the notaries. Notaries today, if you like go to the notary at your UPS, they basically just like sign and stamp a thing and that's kind of it. In a medieval and early modern European context, the notaries have a dual function that they're both public officials whose authority validates a contract, so in the same way as notaries today, but they're also legal professionals in some way almost akin to certain kinds of lawyers today, that they're people who are specially trained in being able to draw up certain kinds of legally valid contracts because there are a number of standard contractual forms. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're the people who know how to essentially fit what you're looking for in terms of the particular kind of business arrangement or say, for example, uh, that you're trying to make with this other person. They can fit it into this kind of standard legal contractual framework, which is something that is uh, very much rooted in Roman law. Roman law is, uh, I would say, never totally dies out, but is even really kind of revived in a very big way in about the kind of 12th, 13th century and becomes something that people are actively appealing to. And then there's also a bunch of local customary law and notarial contracts uh, tend to demonstrate a bit of a kind of blend of these legal traditions. Yeah, I was going to ask like who, like, like where do these like types of contracts come from? Like who decides yeah. like, like how to create these, like what does it mean to have like certain types of contracts, I guess. Yeah, and so that's, so that's sort of where the tradition is coming from. But then it's also something that gets developed and passed down. So uh, notaries, uh, you have to pass an exam to be a notary. You also have to be a man and a citizen of whatever city you're appointed a notary in and a Christian, you know, sure, all those things. But you have to pass an exam. And uh, through this exam, you have to demonstrate like that you know what these forms are and that you can write and that you can do all of this in at least passable Latin. Mm -hmm. You apparently do not have to pass a handwriting test, as I can say firsthand from reading these contracts, because occasionally notaries have decent con- decent handwriting, but usually it is terrible. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> it is very, very bad. Uh, 
And this is especially because the notaries would draw up basically like a nice copy of a contract that the clients would basically kind of each get a copy. But then they also had a copy that they made through their own records and they kept a book. And so these are actually some of the kind of oldest paper documents in Europe are these kind of notaries books of contracts. In these books, it's basically just like the copies that they kept of every contract they drew up for their own records. And so this is where they really kind of like let the handwriting go in a big way. And that's mostly what I'm reading and where I have read thousands of contracts. So yes, the handwriting can at times be a nightmare. Wow. And they're all written in Latin. (laughs) All written in Latin, yes. By the time you're getting into the early modern period in some particular places, uh, notarial contracts start being written in local vernaculars Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or sometimes in kind of a mix, essentially, of uh, of local vernaculars. Uh, And I actually do have... Already one late, like late 14th century contract where the notary actually drew up a copy in Latin and a copy in the local language, which in my area was Catalan. Mm-hmm. You're seeing more of a kind of turn toward the vernacular in the early modern period, but definitely in some places you'd still be, would often see, be seeing Latin contracts still. And so also then part of this that is, uh, I think, really interesting is that the notary, you know, is certainly this kind of skilled professional, right, who's drawing up these contracts. But this function that he has as a public official also matters because this is what makes a contract legal, binding, and completely unbreakable, to use Ursula's terminology. You know, never actually completely unbreakable. She's got magic as an enforcement, and that obviously beats uh, what the notaries can do. Sure. But it is the case that by going to the notary and having the notary draw up this contract for you, that transforms your private agreement into something that is a public and a legally enforceable fact. So this is kind of really essential as an enforcement mechanism in terms of, say, making sure that your loan gets repaid or making sure that this person that you're entering into a business partnership with holds up their end of the deal or that, you know, this person that you're marrying, that they eventually actually pay the dowry to you in full and that you as the bride, if you eventually say get widowed, that you also have a contract that demonstrates how much your dowry is and can get that out of your husband's estate. All of these like ways, and you even see actually in some of the notarial contracts I refer to that there are contracts where first of all, they actually like refer back to other contracts. So they say like, mm. you are repaying me for this loan. And this is the contract that I have. And this is the notary who drew up the original loan contract. And this is the date on which it was signed. Mm-hmm. I also even have a couple of inventories. So in particular, when you have say a widow who is managing her husband's estate, for example, she might be asked to kind of have an inventory drawn up of all of the possessions to basically make sure say that she's not accidentally or on purpose like dissipating her children's inheritance um so let's say she might have to draw up an inventory or you know other guardians or kind of or uh, executors of an estate might have to do the same thing these inventories sometimes even have a list of these are the contracts that i have which demonstrates like that these people owe me money and that's like part of the assets of the estate yeah i mean so how does this like like inform ye olde filing systems i guess (laughs) I mean, well, the, the, just, like, the hard part about... is, yeah, I mean, the problem yeah. is, is that they don't have filing systems to some extent, right. which is too bad, because my life would be way easier if there were better filing systems. Mm-hmm. The notaries themselves, with a couple of exceptions, when they're keeping the stuff for their own records, they're not filing them or dividing them in a way that's like useful or convenient. It's essentially just, this is a big book. And in this big book, which has like 300 
pages and each page has like a couple of contracts. So you know, like potentially you could have one with like a thousand or close to a thousand contracts. It's just all of the contracts that this notary happened to draw up between like July 1342 uh, and, uh, you know, December 1343. Like sure. that's all. Okay. That's the entire organizing principle. Uh, <laughs> people who had their own, you know, nice copies of the contract. From what we know, they seem to have had basically like chests that they kept them in. But mm. we don't, I think, have a good sense of, you know, what kinds of systems of organization they used, if any, to uh, distinguish or it was really just that they kind of rifled through the box whenever they needed something. But yeah, the, the notaries in particular, yeah, the date would be really the only key to finding where this contract, they had they'd made the record of this contract. So there's a couple of exceptions to this. In some places, they actually put marriage contracts in separate registers. Mm -hmm. In some places, there are actually they have separate registers for contracts that involve Jews. Mm. Okay, <laughs> which is an interesting, yeah, little little like segregation bit. Uh, so like uh, you know, so these books that are like literally they're called in okay. Latin uh, libri Judaeorum, which just literally translates to books of the Jews. Yep. That's <laughs> <laughs> and they're mostly Jewish loans to Christians, but also some internal mm. Jewish contracts and various other things as well. But yeah, so that like in some towns, it's basically like, well, if like a Jew is involved in this contract, then it goes in this book as opposed to in that book. So it's wild. Yeah. And there's a couple other various kinds of divisions here and there. There are some places where maybe like one family is a big enough deal that they basically get mm. their own book. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for the most part, though, you basically just like go through your hundreds of pages of contracts and uh, kind of go through just looking, looking for what seems interesting. But like, there's no sorting mechanism that exists. Oh right now, the sorting mechanism is my Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, right. You sorted it. You have the yes. filing system. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's very wild. I've never thought about medieval filing systems. And now I have. Right. So right. I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. Today. Yeah. And like I said, there's just like so many of these things. Mm, like if you're talking right. about like, I have a loan for, I studied for my dissertation and this is now becoming my book. I looked at three cities between the period 1250 to 1350. I have several thousand individual contracts that I have looked at, you know, not necessarily gone into yeah. depth with all of them, but like I do some like quantitative kind of like very basic quantitative stuff as well as like case studies of individual people who show up in a number of different contracts and things like that. Wow. Yeah. That's so, like, that's like a yeah. booming business to be a notary. Yeah. In yeah. Like being a notary was like, it was a fairly high prestige job. It made pretty good money. It depends on the exact like time and location, but I would say typically like you got a salary, but also you charged by contract so that people would have to like pay a fee to the notary. Uh, the fees were actually often on sliding scales basically. So that like the more money your contract involved the more you would have to pay oh interesting yeah huh. to, which to some extent i think is supposed to be something that does make the services of the notaries more accessible to lower strata of society there still mm. i would say definitely are a lot of contracts that probably take place that are say very small loans that it just doesn't quite feel worth it to register because you know the cost of the registration is potentially prohibitive uh, or you know just yeah doesn't does not seem does not seem worth it but you do have even a lot of like fairly small loans, like what we call like consumption loans that are, you know, like basically like kind of like small payday loans, essentially. Sure, sure, sure. So yeah, so I really like that, you know, contracts matter. And so I really like that there mm -hmm. is one movie about the pre-modern world to some extent where contracts really matter and yeah. are a central element of the plot. <laughs> 
It is. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The significance of the contract. It's fascinating. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thank you for educating me on contracts. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for being here to listen yes. to like my spiel about like my thing that I am my like big thing that I am nerdy about. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is very fascinating. They're fun. And yeah, and I'll have to post some images. You know, so they're they're in Latin. The handwriting is atrocious. I've like had students look at them and like not even be able to like make out a word and like barely be able to make out a word. The dates are based on a Roman dating system for the ones that I look at, which means that like you have to like spend time calculating what the date is. <laughs> because it's like, oh, is today is like the 14th of the calends of July. And it's like, yeah. come on. Oh boy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Cool. Do you yeah. think our do you think Ursula's like contract is pretty airtight? I mean, I think so. I I think that I think that she has a really solid contract. And you know, so she obviously I think the way the system works is that essentially like magic is used as the enforcement mechanism in lieu of something like notarial culture. Mm-hmm. So that they so that they they do not have notaries as far as I can tell. Like Ursula seems to be doing her own kind of contract drawing up, but yeah, but that magic is therefore then the enforcement mechanism. Mm-hmm. Also, I think it is interesting, the idea, actually, that, I mean, Triton's first reaction is to attempt to destroy the contract. Mm. And this is actually also, in some ways, like, very much a pre-modern idea. The idea that, like, in theory, destroying the contract could then essentially invalidate it, which is something that people certainly tried to do. This, in particular, actually shows up in some of the, uh, this is earlier, this is, like, 12th century, but in, say, the 12th century massacre of the Jewish community in York, in England, it was very clearly in part economically motivated. Mm-hmm, and in mm-hmm. addition to killing people, they also actively sought out and destroyed members of the Jewish community's records of loans. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it actually is in part because of the fact that this was something that the royal government was aware people were doing. It's in part because of that, that they essentially like created a system of centralized registration so that like you couldn't do that, right? Or so that the local Jewish community's records wouldn't be the only record of the debt. Wow, that's so interesting. So this is so this is so interesting, sort of like this sort of way in which, you know, and this is like not, like I've never thought about medieval contracts ever. Um most people have I have thought I have thought about a lot about magical contracts. Um because uh-huh. I you know, I think they come up in a lot of different sort of like yeah. fantasy and, and yeah. uh, magical realism stories. But the way that the way that things like this that like we take for granted have like shaped the past in like extraordinarily significant ways. Mm-hmm. So like needing to centralize I mean, needing to centralize anything has mm-hmm. usually been, like, where uh, a lot of big changes happen. And so the way that that, not only, like, you know, in the story that you just told me and the way that it both, like, kind of, like, protects a, com- a vulnerable community. Yeah. Deals with racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and creates a, like, right. centralized system that also, like, is beneficial to many, many people. And that's the other thing and that's interesting, too, is that, so I specifically, as, as I kind of have indicated, I work on 13th, 14th century Catalonia. In that particular time and place, so Jews are actually, so basically any kind of Jewish loan to a Christian is actually mandated to have notarial registration. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I think arguably does work to protect both sides in terms of, uh, because of certain kinds of uncomfortable and unpleasant anti-Jewish stereotypes, the debtor being like worried that the creditor will cheat them and that the way you avoid that is by having this contract. And then on the side of the Jewish creditors, then it's like, well, we're worried about these people who hate Jews trying to use anti-Jewish stereotypes in order to avoid paying their loans. And this is like provides them then some protection against that. 
Yeah. So it is, I think, something that really does function fairly effectively, arguably, as an enforcement mechanism, especially in these circumstances of uh, interreligious, intercultural trade in circumstances where, like, there's not necessarily an immense amount of trust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is fascinating. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love contracts. I wish I had more, I like, interesting questions. I'm just, this is all, like, so, this is such, like, new information. I'm just, like, absorbing it. I'm sure contracts. I will text you later with questions. Absolutely. I'm always happy to answer in, all contract-related questions. I'll put in the show notes as well a bunch of recommendations for uh, some excellent books out there on notarial culture, including including some that will tell you more about, like, the early modern stuff, which I've definitely been disproportionately talking about the uh, kind of slightly earlier but context, but there's uh, also some excellent work on 16th and 17th century notarial culture. And also like the idea that like the notaries also in some areas seem to have like functioned as brokers and they're like bringing like say creditors and debtors together. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, they really are serving this like huge yeah. role it's like Flotsam and Jetsam are Flotsam and Jetsam are kind of our brokers. Oh my gosh, yes. Like they are the notaries. <laughs> like they're Yeah. Like, yeah, like they are they're brokering the deal. Yeah. They're like they're they're her representatives outside yeah. of her world and her yes. um, her physical Eel space. Like they are the ones. They are the ones who are who are representing her to the outside yes. world, which is like not great because they look super creepy. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, but she is also uh, I mean awesome, but also creepy. So I mean it's on brand. I think. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. I know. It's so, oh my gosh, it's so it's so interesting, especially also because like I don't know, like people don't like think about notaries anymore. Like we know that like notaries yes. exist, and sometimes you have to get shit notarized. But like I can't imagine. I can't remember the last time I had to get something notarized. And it's part a change over time, and also from what I understand, it's also part a difference between an Anglo-American legal system mm. and the kind of more, in some ways, overtly Roman influenced like system that uh, was. Uh, the one that was most prevalent in like the Italian peninsula and the Iberian peninsula Mm -hmm. and in France. And I believe Mm -hmm. actually the notaries have a role still in some of those countries. And also I think in Latin America or in some Latin American countries, Mm -hmm. I think the notaries actually have a role that is at least somewhat closer to what I'm seeing in this pre-modern context, but that's really because it's a kind of regional difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Notaries. They're notary. great. They're awesome. I love. I love notaries. <laughs> Are you a notary yourself? I am not. Now, I, I, I feel like it would be fun to be a notary. I feel like I would just be like very excited. I'm like they tried. They tried to say that like women couldn't be notaries and Jews couldn't be notaries, but I can be a notary. <laughs> yeah, I think that like I don't know. It seems like it's not like the hardest thing in the world to like get. Yeah. To be a notary, so I feel like you could do it. Yeah, I mean, it honestly seems a lot easier than it was in the Middle Ages. Yeah, and I think it would be fun. You'd you'd meet a lot of different people all the time. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting. At this point, we can get into the Fabula Nostra, where we each have the opportunity to come up with a piece of media inspired by this one. Okay. Or would you like to go first? I want to clarify, so because I, I have like multiple things. Like, is this like like a recommendation of a piece of media that already exists, or like imagining media in my mind? Imagining media that you would have in mind, like the okay. the media that you want to see in the world that does not mm-hmm. currently exist. Mm-hmm. I want to see. I mean, I just want to see more mermaid stuff for yeah. sure. And I feel like mermaids have been like having such a renaissance lately, where like now you can right. buy those like like fins that you put on your body and you can go like flop around all over the place and there's people who are doing all kinds of like beautiful mermaid like photo shoots but like I want to be seeing more like yes information almost even like mm-hmm. I think a reality show about like oh, so those mermaids 
doing yes. like shoots and doing like all these things, <gasps> like creating a yes. show for the people who are doing mermaid content could be very fun. Yes. I think that would be very fun. I don't know what you would like. I don't know what, like, all the challenges would be. But, yeah, it would be, like, oh, like, you have to do it in, like, a color scheme that you don't usually do. Or you have have to do it, like, at a poolside. Or you have to do it on, like, a really rocky beach. Or, like, (laughs) I don't know. Like, I don't don't know how to, like, create those challenges. But, yeah, I think that could be really, really fun. That'd be great. Disney's very into origin stories these days, and especially villain origin stories. And the only one I want is Ursula's. I want to know what Ursula was doing in the palace. I want to know what that whole story is about, like, when Ursula was, like, in power and, like, part of mermaid society. in the past when Triton's beer was, like beard was shorter and his hair was shorter and like everyone was younger and what was going on like what is the drama yeah like I want to know what was going on then I want to know about Ursula coming into her powers as both a witch in terms of her magic and also in terms obviously of her contractual skills Mm -hmm. and so I want to know what that journey was like for her and I also think that there uh that I think we should at this point have an overtly queer storyline yes Oh, she's like ready. She's ripe for it. So give that to Ursula. Yeah. I know. I Yeah. It would be so much more. Like, I haven't watched Cruella yet. I probably won't. I don't think I need it. Like, I think I like like Cruella as is. You know? Like, with some of these villains. Yeah. Obviously, people enjoy it and, like, no shade to people who are excited about it or enjoy it at all. For me, I feel like it's just a little, like, really? We had to do the origin story about the person who murders dogs for fun? I know. Like, I feel like she's she's the least redeemable. She's so perfectly evil. She's so, she exists in this, like, space and in this mold, and she is so compelling as a villain. Yeah. (laughs) Like, there's no need to make her more compelling. Like, she just is already. And she's also like, I don't want to know her, like, sob story that made her want to murder dogs because she murders dogs. Yeah, I don't need to know. I don't need to know any of it. I think we really also like got got in the sense over the course of this podcast that like dogs are absolutely the way to my heart, and that like hurting dogs is like the way to my hatred. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. But yeah, yeah, I think an Ursula one would be very, very fun. That's what I would like. So our final proper section is the estimatio or rating where we rate the film on a scale from one to five based on whatever purely subjective criteria we see fit. Okay, great. Do you want me to go first? Yes. Five out of five. (laughs) It's my favorite Disney movie. Yes. Very ideal And I deal in absolutes. So yeah, it's, it's so good. The music, Alan Menken, like kills it. The music is stunning. It looks really good. It set the tone for so much of the like Disney Renaissance of the nineties. And I think it's per it's so good. It's so and good. it's tight. It's really tight. Yes. There's no like air. It's yes. just like, and it's gives also you like the story. You know, this movie is like it's like eighty five minutes long and like Ugh, it's perfect. <laughs> some of these movies are so long. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It gives you exactly what you need. It looks really fun. There's great comedy. I love it. I'm going to give it my nitpicking medievalist, I'll say 4.5 out of 5, which is really just that, you know, I think that it would have been interesting had it made a slightly more consistent choice about exactly when it took place and maybe even slightly more consistent in the material culture. I think that would have been interesting. 
I agree. But other than that, like, you know, and also there's obviously, you know, things here and there in terms of like fat shaming, in terms of like, wow, the only people who are capable of having a love interest are like very, very like tiny, slender, Disney classically beautiful people. And, you know, yes, <laughs> things, you know, things like that, that like, you know, have, have not necessarily like aged perfectly. But yes. I love this movie. Ariel is an excellent heroine. She's plucky. She does a lot for herself. Yes. Yeah, she's extremely independent. She, like, knows what she's interested. She, like, pursues her interests, like, no matter what people say to her. Yeah, she's great. Erica, are there places where the listeners could find you on the internet if they so desired? Yeah, I I exist. Uh, I don't have a Twitter, but I exist on Instagram, which is made by Erica with a bunch of underscores uh, between and before every part of that phrase where you can see a lot of my work and uh the types of work that I do I have a I have a uh, neglected Etsy store that I need to update soon (laughs) that's called Bombadil's because I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan and and Tom Bombadil is excellent yeah he's king and I have a website ericadesitel.com uh where you you can which is which is my online portfolio of uh theater mostly theater work that that I've done and you can just find me in Boston man I'm around (laughs) All right. So yeah, so thank you so much for joining me. And for those who have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. I'll read new five-star reviews in future episodes. Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod and join the Facebook group. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah F. Decker. And finally, if you have any questions or suggestions, I'd love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. So thank you again. This was fantastic. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. And it was nice to just one chat with you one on one, which we haven't really got to do before. And and also uh, think about, you know, my favorite Disney movie. Absolutely. And thank you all for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Bye. But without my voice, how can I? You'll have your looks, your pretty face. And don't underestimate the importance of the body language. Ha! The men up there don't like a lot of blabber. They think a girl who gossips is a bore. Yet on land it's much preferred for ladies not to say a word. And after all, dear, what is idle prattle for? Come on, they're not all that impressed with conversation. Two gentlemen avoid it when they can. But they don't inform and fawn on a lady who's withdrawn. It's she who holds her tongue who gets a man. Come on, you poor unfortunate soul. Go ahead, make your choice. I'm a very busy woman and I haven't got all day. It won't cost much, just your voice. You poor unfortunate soul, it's sad.